Terrors of Hell. This is Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. Why 6,000? Out of any number you might have pulled out, why 6,000 Terrors of Hell? That's that's exactly how many Terrors Hell has. Hey, yeah. Didn't you do any reading before yeah. you got on here? I thought we were supposed to research this before <laughs> yeah, we the did the commentary. Do we need to push this off to like another week or something? Because if you're not ready, I don't Didn't know. you read the notes? Didn't you read the Google Doc? I thought I thought we all shared the Google Doc that was sent out last week. <laughs> I, I, wish there, hour. I wish there was a Google Doc. Um, yeah, because we're uh, I yeah, I'll have some things to say about the movie. May not be many things, may not be great things, but uh there'll be big things when I say. We'll see. I don't know. Leave me alone. Anyway, how are you both? It's been a while. By a while, I mean like five days. <clears throat> I'm good. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready for October to begin. I'm ready for October first. Same here. We're we're it's it's always that you know like it, it, why is it the last hour of any long trip is the longest? I feel that way. Kind of every spooky season too. You know, the closer we get to October first the longer it seems to take to get there. It's not fair. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of prep work though. A lot of, um, my house is decorated. I got to do the outside. I'm doing that on October 1st. So we're going to do the outside spooky stuff. And, uh, but I've been watching a lot of horror movies, trying to get myself right in the, in the spirit. And I've got some things planned this year. I'm pretty excited about, so should be good times. I have some plans too, but they always fail me. So we'll see if I can pull off any of them this year. I uh, I want to do Halloween Horror Nights. I'm only two hours away from Orlando. There's really no excuse for me having missed it for like three years straight, except for that damn pandemic last year. And uh, I'm going to try and knock out every single fucking Universal Classic Monster movie this Halloween. So Impressive. Uh, I'm huge. That'd be huge. Now, when you say the classics, is that including all the sequels as well? Every single one in order of release. I like that. Do you have that mm-hmm. box set that got released a few years ago? I do, and I got it at the weirdly like super cheap price. I think it was like an Amazon Gold Box deal, and I saw it, and I was like, I'd already owned those movies on like VHS back in the day, and then DVD, you know, and the weird sets they put out around the time that uh, Van Helsing came out, and uh, you know, I piecemealed them here and there. And when that damn box set came out, I was like, Ah, am, am, am I going to take that plunge again? Of course I am. 
And um, then it was like super cheap, you know, I, it was like 140 and I was already kind of uh, eyeballing the hell out of it at that point. And then uh, I think I woke up one day and it was like 60 or 70 bucks. And I was like, yep. And I love it though. Love it so much. Allie, how have you been? I've been good. I'm in like official prep mode for like my busiest season ever. Like I go into production this weekend on that film, The Damnations of Dracula, where I get to play Dracula. So I'm very excited. That's so cool. And then I go from that, have a few days break to finish up prep work on my feature, film all that during Canadian Thanksgiving, which like is the better Thanksgiving because it happens in October. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that's that's fair. Fair. I mean, that's totally fair. fair. Completely fair. <laughs> uh, and then when that's done, I jump on to another feature and I'm uh, I guess I can talk about it now. I am, I have like a smaller role. I'm like one of three actors in the new Blind Dead movie. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and then, of course, I uh, have the guest at Niagara Falls or the Frightmare in the Falls. And that's going to be like a whole big thing. And I got asked to do this uh, modeling gig for like a book cover. So it's just like a jam packed month where I'm like, all right, inject the coffee into my veins and let's do this. I'm, I'm going to ask, like, ha- have you set aside time to sleep? Does, does that factor into your schedule at all? No, but I decided to uh, take up Coke because I've heard that's really okay. going to get yeah. I think that's a good idea. I, you know, I've heard that that provides a lot of energy. It does. I haven't heard anyone doing anything bad on cocaine. Hey, no. let me tell you something. If you don't start doing cocaine until you're older, it's <laughs> easier because you, you're smarter about it. Because the hangovers are so awful that you True. say to yourself, okay, that was fun. Not again for another month. <laughs> or I just never stop doing it, and then I don't get the hangover. It's basically oh. what I do with drinking. That's always worked, that's worked well for so many people. Musicians. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I tried, um. I tried Coke when I was in high school, and I just I didn't I didn't see the oh, appeal of cool it. Cool no, guy. I mean it, it yeah. fucking <laughs> it fucking burned like all the hell. Jesus. No, I seriously, I tried Coke in like high school and college. I, I, was super- I did lines of it off of uh, like the the marble countertop in my science. Uh, my science classroom when the teacher wasn't looking, it fucking oh burned God. like hell. Over the, over the, over the course. <laughs> Seriously. Have you, I, always in, have you always lived in Florida? Yeah, it, fucking, <laughs> it fucking stung so much, but I'm not a quitter. The next day, I tried <laughs> Diet Coke. The day after, I tried Sprite. The day after that, I switched to Pepsi products. That fucking hurt even more. Jinx, I'm finding all uh, kinds of things. This Every day is a new surprise with you. So I, I feel like the next line you're going to say is like, and then, you know, I killed a man just to watch him die. I mean, haven't we all done that? Not, yeah. Just to watch That's him die? Like, the fucker had it coming. Um, No, I'm, I'm kidding. As far as actual what we're talking about, the powdery substance, no, I am straight edges can be. I've, I've never... I've never touched the stuff, so um, no, I was trying, you can't be was trying to make a funny about the cola and snorting it, <laughs> and it, it fell, it landed with a thud, so we're just, uh, we're going to move on, because you set up the story so well, you're like, in high school? In class? <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly enough, I did borrow a bit of a story from a classmate who did actually do lines <laughs> of coke every class with a rolled up hundred dollar bill. And we, yeah. we were all in high school and I'm, this person was not like super wealthy. And I'm like, 
why not just a one dollar bill? Because one dollar bills are for poor people. If you're gonna snort coke, underwear nothing. But Good they point. were poor. less people touch hundred dollar bills and stuff. Like more people touch dollar bills. Yeah, also true. You guys be thinking about those germs. This is the wildest opening any hammer pub has ever had, <laughs> and uh, I'm okay with that. You know what? We we actually haven't done an introduction to our guests this evening. Uh, returning from Dracula AD 1972 to see out the sequel is Mike Vanderbilt. Mike, how are you? Great. I had so much fun the last time. I'm so happy you guys have me back. Uh, even if this one is not one of my favorite Hammer entries, uh, I still, there's 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 enough to talk about with this one, I think. Well, we're not going to be, there's got to be any dearth, uh, dearth of conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> and also returning from last week, everyone put your hands together for Michael Verratti. Michael? I don't think, I don't think he's here. Michael? <laughs> Michael? Michael, is he? Has anybody seen Michael? Mr. Verratti? Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. Okay, so it's just going to be the four of us this evening. Um, you know what? That makes sense in a way. Moving from Dracula AD 1972 to uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula. You know, those movies lost to Stephanie Beecham. We as a podcast, we have lost Michael Verratti. Unfortunately, I, I feel like it's not fair. We uh, we do not have our own Joanna Lumley to, to take uh, the place of our fallen... Uh, guest hosts so that uh that bums me out a little bit but you know what we're gonna make do it might be a little bit disappointing but given that we're talking about the satanic rites of dracula it's maybe fitting that it's a tad disappointing we'll uh, <laughs> see how that goes but, but he will be missed he will be he, missed he will and he's always welcome back um now before we do the typical commentary thing with satanic rites we're gonna go ahead and go around and chat our recent watches mike what have you seen in the last five days since yeah. we last uh, I did watch I did watch a couple flicks because I watched a couple flicks for the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast. Uh, right now, actually, as we're recording, I'm just coming from hosting. Uh, we were screening Blood Feast and Scum of the Earth, two Herschel Gordon Lewis classics in the Garden of the Music Box Theater. So I watched both of those. Uh, have you guys seen Blood Feast? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's, it's awesome. Right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, that is true outsider art. Have you ever seen Scum of the Earth, though? Never have. I've not seen that, no. Scum of the Earth was shot back-to-back with Blood Feast, featuring a lot of the same cast, although most of the people on it changed their names for it because this is the one they were embarrassed by. They weren't necessarily embarrassed by Blood Feast. They were uh, embarrassed by Scum of the Earth. And whereas Blood Feast has the reputation as being the first gore film, Scum of the Earth uh, is noted as being the first ruffie, which, uh, for those of you who don't know... It's essentially sex exploitation where the women get roughed up a little bit because you can't show the actual sex, but you have to give people something lurid to watch. And that was acceptable. The sex, eh, not so much. We don't want to see anybody having a good time. So uh, this was uh, known as the first roughie, and uh, it's it's something. It's typical Herschel Gordon-Lewis, over-the-top acting, real inept filmmaking, but truly something to behold. Now, is that part of the uh, – I have yet to pick up that big box set that Arrow put out a couple of years ago. I need to, but uh, is that a part of it, or is that – Scum like- Earth is generally featured as part of – a bonus feature with Blood Feast. And for the this double feature, for our episode of the show, we were re- recreating a double feature that played in Chicago in August of 1963 at the Starlight Drive-In, which was owned by Stan Kohlberg, who was also a money man in Blood Feast and Scum of the Earth. So they're all connected. Herschel Gordon-Lewis is a Chicago guy, 
and so is Dave Friedman, the producer. Everything they those two movies were shot down in Miami, but they have strong Chicago connections. Did a lot of uh, nudie films up here, which oh. I love. That Chicago Chicago essentially gave birth to Herschel Gordon Lewis and um, Russ Meyer. Okay, all right. See, Florida Florida can't even fully claim H.G. Lewis. Like we're <laughs> we're we're so uncool that we don't even fully. Get oh no, it. Chicagoans went down to Miami to slum it. They said we need to make this <laughs> nasty. You know, hey, Florida's it. got some good stuff. Wasn't like Miami Vice shot there? Indeed, it was. Yeah, and didn't uh, Gianni Versace get murdered there? Holy <laughs> man! There you go. See, you got stuff to offer. You're fine. We've got Michael Mann and Andrew Cunanan. That's uh, that's about all oh, we got so that's far. A name I ain't heard in a minute. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I watched the recent uh, what was it American history what the fuck is that American crime, Amer- American crime story thank you uh, which weirdly enough the OJ Simpson season of that was surprisingly fucking great um, and I started the Gianni Versace one and it was it was interesting I haven't finished it yet but uh, I'm I'm trying to work my way toward the Bill Clinton season just because I, I I don't know if it's going to be a home run or a complete fucking disaster, but either way, there's a bit of genius uh, casting Clive Owen as Bill Clinton. Uh, it's genius that I maybe can't see or understand or appreciate or get on the same level of, but nevertheless, I need to witness it, I feel. Well, I think oh. the good thing about impeachment is that they actually, like Monica Lewinsky was part of creating it. So we actually get to hear her side of the story and not just the side that was telegraphed by the media. Nice. I do appreciate oh, that. Oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say I did appreciate that about O.J. Simpson where, you know, I, as a kid, I was utterly fascinated by that trial. I would race home uh, after school every day. I was a fucking nerd. Uh, I would race home after school every day to catch as much of the trial as I possibly could. And, uh, and I had nobody to talk to about it. Nobody at school was interested in this shit. But weirdly enough, they actually uh, – the day that the verdict was read – uh, I, I think it was in the last hour of classes, everyone was called to like the nearest uh, room that had a television in it. And we all it, together watched the verdict. Yep. Like it was, I like, was in it, lunch. I was at lunch when it happened. Really? Yeah. And I just remember like in people, high school, you know, I'm, I'm from a small Southern Ohio town. So you can imagine the, uh, you know, in the eighties, nineties, kind of a hotbed for racism here and there. Um, and so people none too happy. Weirdly enough, like when I was a kid, just watching what came about in that trial, I, I got to tell you, I feel fucking dumb for even saying this now. But at the time, I was certain the man was innocent. Mm-hmm. I was I truly believed that the LAPD was fucking framing him and doing a shit job of it. And uh and then as soon as all the stuff started coming out in the civil trial, like I was like, oh, no, he fucking killed her. Like that's yeah. it's it's there's no that's that's what happened. He he did it. He's guilty. This I is. Went, yeah, I went to an all boys Catholic high school. So everybody was very excited because we are a hotbed for toxic masculinity. So they were very <laughs> whether he murdered her or not. They were just happy to see that O.J. got off because I remember the, the, the school like erupted because everybody the teachers all had it on in their on their television in the classrooms and like everybody cheered. Wow. Did anybody watch that massive documentary that came yeah. out? Uh, that okay. thing was awesome. It played in Toronto as like an eight hour movie. Yes. <laughs> it was amazing because you could just like leave the theater, get a full pizza, come back, take a nap midway through. Like it was <laughs> eight hours of just OJ. 
My God, I gotta watch that. I remember the trial. It's totally, it's well. totally compelling. I, mm-hmm. I tend to when it comes to television, I tend to like get two episodes in before I tune out with anything. But I was coming home from work every night, like you know, you know, ten and bar, like one, two in the morning, and just half have to get into the new episode and it's i think it's something to be said for everybody our age like we remember that happening in our lifetime so it's definitely interesting to look at it with adult eyes and say like remembering where you were even if it was just in high school yeah that that damn bronco like i i know exactly where i was i remember what i was wearing weirdly enough like that that moment is so firmly etched it's like fucking uh 9-11 like I remember that morning in, with crystal clarity, even though it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Friday um, afternoon, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective had come out on VHS that day because I bought it, and I remember I was excited to watch Ace Ventura, but <laughs> instead I just was compelled watching the the Bronco Chase. And now, whenever I think of the Bronco Chase, I just think because they play the clip on uh, Howard Stern Station on Sirius all the time was the fake caller that got in. And did a Baba Booey to mm-hmm. to Al Michaels, <laughs> and Al Michaels' response was just like real cool and collected. I believe that's a prank call from a popular radio show. <laughs> but they played they played the clip all the time on the show. I love it. Yeah, I uh, yeah no I I American uh, crime story is interesting in that regard because it kind of shines light behind the scenes and like all the stuff that we didn't see. And uh, it's really kind of fascinating for fleshing some of that stuff out and showing like, you know, even down to the trial, like, you know, some of the iconic moments, certainly like what went into the big uh, trying the glove on moment, but also like what it, what impact that had on everybody is just like human beings being under a microscope at that time and knowing that the entire nation is watching you every single day and like the kind of pressure that that must've been like. And uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's kind of neat that Monica Lewinsky is an advisor on, uh, on impeachment. I think that's really cool. So I did want to add one movie that I did watch this week that I'm sure you guys have an opinion on is 1959's The Mummy from Hammer Productions. Yes. Yes. Because uh, the reason I was watching it is because uh, when does this episode come out? Um. So uh, <laughs> it will either be two weeks from now or three weeks from uh, now. So- I'm not certain. Depending on our recording schedule, we're either <laughs> going to keep it weekly or we're going to go bi-weekly long enough to cover us through October. Well, it doesn't matter that much, but we are screen- Windy City Double Feature is screening that at the Music Box of Horrors Drive-In this year alongside Curse of the Undead, re- recreating a double feature that uh, was hit Chicago in 1959. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. I love that you guys do that. That sounds yeah, amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. That'll be on the big, big screen. And, uh, of course, obviously, The Mummy, one of the best Hammer productions. Yes? Uh, yes. No, it's great. The Mummy is so good. We should all love Egypt-themed horror movies. Unfortunately, yeah, it kicked off a like, franchise like, like, that maybe didn't always live up to <laughs> its promise. Even the bad <laughs> ones are so good. We should respect them. <laughs> <laughs> mummy shroud i could do without <laughs> yeah but but no the original mummy i mean well plus that was terrence fisher like in his prime too um and and that also like was one of the most like visually interesting movies like that was one of the first ones that really kind of went a different direction uh with the gothic style stylings that were was kind of present in like curse of frankenstein and um uh, the original dracula 
it, it was it was such a different looking movie and and the scope of it was a little bit wider and it just yeah it really kicked hammer into gear heading into its golden it's really its golden years in the early 60s and it really showcases what a big dude christopher lee is oh yeah Hmm. yeah yeah but probably more so than any other role weirdly and i don't know why that's the case you would think that uh you know he's meant to be imposing obviously as dracula he's meant to be uh you know this big lumbering beast and uh you know chris frankenstein but why is it as the mummy you really get a sense of how damn big the guy was in comparison to everybody else yeah i don't know but it's something about it like i was like man he's a big dude in this yeah yeah he's i gotta say like i he might be i i know it's sacrilege i get it like and plus you know all respect to karloff karloff looked amazing that jack pierce design that we got to see for uh what about 120 seconds at the very beginning of the first you know universal movie is amazing they probably should have uh you know showed that more um but uh I gotta say, there's something about the EC Comics either inspired or, uh, you know, the EC Comics precursor. Just the the look of think, Lee's mummy is my yeah. favorite fucking mummy. To your to that point, like he looks like what you expect the mummy to look like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It it feels like you know they 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 follow up on like the the Universal stuff like Imhotep and Karis. And they're like, well, what if we just refine this? What if we brought it to its natural like conclusion and just show what you know what the best possible version of that character would look like? And honestly, I don't, I don't think it's been topped. It's what fifty years old now, sixty years nearly. And uh, I and look, I love the Brendan Fraser mummy. I love you, Arnold Vosloo, <laughs> but you, you, you know you, you don't. Nineteen eighty two. Time Walker about the uh, <laughs> space. <laughs> My other Thank favorite you. mummy another thing another. is that short in uh tales from the dark side uh that's another good one that's oh, a really good yeah. thing yeah that that the ending is great and plus christian slater is so fucking good that movie doesn't get nearly enough love no it's great i believe it was originally uh, oh, to be show three i could be wrong yes yeah, yeah it totally it was. was yeah yeah it was supposed to be and then we actually uh, got a, a creep show three and uh oh, that's a oh that one yeah yeah. I've seen the trailer and the trailer was, and you got to understand, like I am, I have that collecting bug where, especially when it comes to franchises, I love, and by love, I mean, I could love just one entry and I will need all of them, even if I will never watch them. Right. And when it comes to creep show, like I fucking adore that first movie. I think the second movie has some merits, not a lot, but some, <clears throat> uh, I'm picking hey, up. Hey the, now, hey now. I'm, let's, I'm picking let's up. Be careful about creep show too. Wouldn't that's terrible. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's <laughs> amazing. Great. It's great. Uh, I'm picking up the shutter releases, the Blu-ray releases of the, uh, you know, the Creepshow seasons, but I've seen the trailer to Creepshow 3, and I was just kind of like, nope. No, nope. don't need it. I'm good. I just, mm-hmm. Maybe if I ran across it and it was super cheap, but, I mean, you have to import the Blu-ray, otherwise you have to put up with the DVD here in the States, and the DVD is super expensive, and I just, I don't have time for that. I refuse. Understandable. Understandable. <laughs> How did we get here? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, the mummy. I I adore Christopher Lee's mummy. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. he's my favorite. Oh, build the room. Sorry. Anybody? No, I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I you know I love uh, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. 
that's the one I really like. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's a different movie. I, I, I don't think it's better than Terrence Fisher's The Mummy. I just have a little bit more fun with it, um, hammer-wise. But I I can't disagree that, that that's probably the best sort of screen version of The Mummy as a monster. No, I agree. I, uh, Paul, how about you? What have you seen recently? Well, um, I've watched a couple things. I'll try to keep it. <clears throat> try to keep it brief. Um, I watched uh, 1999's Resurrection. Yes. Put out by Scream Factory. Or no, uh, gosh, Vinegar Syndrome. What am I saying? I love that. Uh, so dr- dr- yeah, yeah. I, I had never seen it. I had somehow missed it. Um, it I, I can't believe I didn't see it because it kind of has all the trappings of a movie I would have wanted to watch in 1999. But I just it somehow missed me. Uh, directed by uh, Russell Mulcahy, um, who did has has a pretty interesting filmography, as yes, we probably does. all know. Um, and this movie is so it's starring uh, Christopher Lambert, um, and it is, I it's pretty wild. <laughs> um, it it kind of feels like I mean I know it it's very clearly trying to be kind of a post seven you know serial killer that's using religious iconography to kind of like tell his story and leave hints at what he's trying to do unfortunately the dvd or i'm sorry the blu-ray box art like gives away kind of like the master plan that the, yeah. that the serial killer has which is very and i almost like hesitate to say what it is but then again if you go buy this movie you're you're gonna see the cover <laughs> um so I I don't really know how to proceed. What I'll say, I guess I'll I'll try to keep it spoiler free as best as possible. It's very very stylized, maybe to a fault. Um, like everything is like the camera moves a lot, but there's not always a reason for it to move other than it just looks cool, which I'm not against. Um, that can be fun, but it, it gets a little dizzying sometimes and distracting. And, but. Uh, it, it definitely has kind of an I don't give a fuck attitude, which I really, really liked. Um, it never, ever stops. Like, every scene just moves. Um, it's very over the top. Like, the performances are pretty uh, intense. Like, emotion is cranked up to 11 in every single scene, whether it needs to be or not. But having said all of that, it's very, very disturbing um, and and effective in its horror. Um, the the killer, like the little mask the killer wears is really creepy. Um, what the killer is doing is, again, incredibly disturbing. There's a pretty good fake out here and there around what you think is going to happen versus what is actually happening. Um, and it stacks up like in terms of I'll, I'll say this in terms of all of the sort of post seven, uh, very intense cop procedural crime movies. This is probably one of my favorites, if for no other reason than it goes much farther than the average (laughs) ever attempts to go. And I kind of have a a level of respect for that. And it definitely, you know, it feels like the right kind of movie for Vinegar Syndrome to put out. So, um, yeah, I I definitely recommend it. really really interesting flick that i will probably show to friends in the future so yeah i i liked it quite a bit 
Uh, Mike Alley, have you both seen it? This have- is no. This is a new one for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. If, um, if you if you watch it, try to close your eyes when you pick up the the Blu-ray so you don't see the cover. <laughs> <laughs> or just don't. Yeah, just don't pay that much is attention it new to from, it. Is it new from Vinegar Syndrome? Yes. Yeah, it's, probably it, be, it's out in this month's package. Oh, then I'll probably be getting it. I I am a I am a yearly subscriber. Oh, okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so you, just you, don't look at the you'll box. get it. Okay. Yeah, just it. just like pop it out really quick and just <laughs> just put it in and watch it. I remember uh, in the old days of like horror movie message boards, long before social media was was kind of a thing or social media apps. Anyway, uh, there was a uh, a board called horrormovies.com. And I just remember everybody going nuts for that movie. And it was straight to, I don't even know if it went to VHS first. I think it was like a Cinemax premiere or something like that. Uh, it eventually hit VHS because I remember uh, annoying the hell out of my local movie gallery to have their copy of the poster, which they didn't even bother putting up. And that right. it went up on my wall. And uh, it's just a, a picture of like, you know, uh, Christoph Lambert's face and some dodgy dark shit happening in the background. And then like a very 70 title treatment for uh, the title Resurrection. But I don't know. I, I I think by that point, I think it was 99 when it came out, I was already kind of over the seven knockoffs. And so to see one that was not only pretty good, but one that was actually fucking great was uh, was a bit of a surprise. And uh, yeah, I just I adore it. Like uh, like I said, Russell Mulcahy, he's he's had a really interesting career. And um, it, it was really interesting to see him working with his uh, Highlander star, you know, in Lambert again. And uh, I think Lambert is great in it. Robert Joy is fucking fantastic in it. Leland Orser is great in it. Like, it's got a great cast. David Cronenberg gives a rock-solid performance in the film. Like, I, oh, yeah, Cronenberg's in it, yeah. I, I love his... I Like, that's, you know, between... I think everybody knows that he did Decker in Nightbreed, but otherwise he's he's kind of cameo guy, right? It's, you know, you're, you're watching, like, uh, Alias, the TV show, and it's like... Oh, hey, there's David Cronenberg. Or you're watching Blood and Donuts. It's like, oh, hey, there's David Cronenberg. He has a meaty role in Resurrection where, yeah, he might not be in it a whole hell of a lot, but his performance is fucking great. There's this moment, uh, if I remember correctly, Christoph Lambert's character is a guy who lost his faith, but nevertheless has stayed friends with, uh, you know, Cronenberg's. Is he a priest, Paul? Uh, Lamb. Yeah, and I apologize. I said Lambert earlier, and I know it's Lambert. Now I sound like a like a shitty like a shitty poser film guy. Um, but uh, he, <laughs> well, I, well, I called him Christopher Lambert until I was twenty seven years old. So you're okay. He's uh, Lambert in the. Are you talking about Lambert? Or are you talking about Cronenberg's character? Cronenberg. Uh, he's a man. Oh, Cronenberg. Yeah, he's a priest. Okay, so there's this great moment. It's this wonderful bit of acting from Cronenberg. It's so fucking subtle. But um, obviously there's that kind of dialogue. They've remained friends, but Cronenberg as a priest knows that Lambert has has kind of lost his faith. And he comes to him for help, but he refuses to actually walk into, you know, the church. He kind of stays right at the edge of the door, and Cronenberg doesn't realize it as he's, like, gathering up a Bible. And he turns, thinking that Lambert will be right next to him. Sees that he isn't, looks up, sees him like right at the edge of the door, refusing to walk in. And he just kind of wilts a little bit. Like he's kind of sad, but he's also kind of like pissed off a little bit. And it's just, I don't know, it's great. I think, I, I wish in some wonderful alternate reality, Cronenberg worked as much as an actor as he did a filmmaker. Well, 
you know, possibly even more. But uh, yeah, that movie, I I absolutely adore it. I can't wait to pick up the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. I was going to uh, order it at my local uh, Grindhouse Video and go and pick it up. And just got the notification today that Grindhouse Video is actually closing up shop for good and moving the box. So I'm more than... Then you get to go to like, a big closeout sale and buy a bunch of stuff. I don't even think they're doing that. I think oh, doing Great House Video. Is that the uh, Daily Grindhouse guys? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, it's uh, it's this little place in Tampa. It was uh, it was it's just a great physical media shop. You walk in and they have like loads and loads of anything you would want to buy. They had a video store down in Florida. The guys who own the site. I wonder if it's the same place. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. Man. I never knew about that connection. Uh, and I know he has the guy from uh, Grindhouse, it's GHV. He uh, he does like a Sunday night video show on YouTube, I think. Uh, but otherwise, I didn't think he did podcasts. But but maybe I don't know. Hmm. But I'm gonna miss it because it was so nice, like an hour away to walk into an honest to goodness video store that is tailored specifically to fans of like horror movies and exploitation flicks where you could buy any, and I do mean any labels, brand new Blu-ray or DVD, loads of used stuff, like great prices, old magazines, VHS, video discs from the 70s, uh, toys, anything you could want. The place was a wonderland. And um, I think the last time I went was in February of 2020, then the pandemic hit. And then when the pandemic, well, at least when I got vaccinated, that was one of the places that I raced to first. And I found out that they were, they were closing up shop. And I, uh, I just, yeah. Do you remember the end of the mist where Thomas Jane kills everybody? And then he realizes if he'd waited just a minute longer, like they might've been safe. Yeah. It's 14 years old. Uh, (laughs) and he falls to his knees and he does that great sort of wail. You know, I'm not saying that I did that in the parking lot of the video store, but I'm not, not saying that. Are you saying that you killed everyone inside of the video store? Yeah. Yeah. You getting real dark with this. Did you snort a couple lines of Coke? Yeah, it's finally, the show's finally getting dark. (laughs) I admit nothing. I admit nothing. Allie, what have you seen recently? (laughs) All right. So right off the bat, it's not horror, but I just need to talk about it. I saw The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, wow. How was that? It is so good. One, Michael Showalter is the director, and I just think he's across the board one of the like funniest most creative humans alive because he was the guy he's part of like the what have american summer and wonderlust and all those kind of crews yeah uh, and then jessica chastain like is tammy faye like in the beginning when it's like her being a young kid you're like okay i see jessica chastain and then as she ages you're like no that's tammy faye like it is uncanny and growing up and like a very religious household like everything came flooding back in that movie theater and for some reason i was like singing along and i'm like why do i know all the words why do i know these songs what is happening in my life (laughs) but it's just oh it's it's so good and like yeah they're shitty people but like it is such an interesting story Are they pres- – because the thing, you know, watching the trailer, I was like, you know, I need to see this for the performances alone. But I got the feeling that they were going to try and do a little, like, 
image rehabilitation for Tammy Faye and make it seem like she was just swept up in uh, in her husband's machinations, you know, and she was not at fault at all. And I was just like, I remember watching that trailer and getting to the end of it, and I was just like, bullshit. Like, there's, I, <laughs> I just, I refuse to believe that, but I don't know. I no, they they are like Tammy Faye's not that great either. <laughs> okay, good. Like she's a pretty willing participant in all the things that go down. But she plays that like, oh, I had no idea. But it's like, you fucking knew. Like, there's no way you knew they didn't know that you weren't taking money from all of your like, quote unquote, partners, which were just people donating money to you guys. And it oh, it was just everyone needs to go and see it. Yeah, they're, like, they're terrible it's people. Not, it's super good. And just, oh, uh, oh, uh, it's just, oh, uh, it's so good. I've been waiting for this movie for like six years. <laughs> I love Jessica Chastain, and it does look amazing. Um, I want to see it. I really do. Uh, is it is it in theaters right now, or is it on VOD? Like, how did they release I that? saw it in theaters. I don't think it's on VOD just yet. Like, I feel like they said for September it was going to be in theaters because it just finished playing TIFF. Mm. Yeah, I think okay. it's still just in theaters. I don't think it's on VOD yet. I don't know how stuff works in the States, because obviously it's <clears throat> completely different. I need to do a... Um... Uh, a Tammy Faye Venom double feature on Thursday. See how that, <laughs> see how that goes. That sounds know. good. And it goes together quite nicely. <laughs> do do a little coke first in the bathroom and yeah. get kind of pumped up. Really into it. Get your lip liner and uh, you're good. Um, but yeah, outside of outside of that, I marathoned the entire series of Midnight Mass, the new Mike Flanagan show. Okay, gonna hop off here for five minutes. Goodbye. And I'm not gonna give away any spoilers, but like, holy fuck, Mike Flanagan is that in a thousand every single time he makes something new. And I love that he's always using the same kind of reoccurring cast, like Katie Siegel and Raul, I can't think of his last name, and Alex Esso and Mike Trucco, Truco, and like all these people. But now he's adding in Hamish Linklater, who I have like had a crush on for like 10 years and it's so good to see him in this like preacher role where he's playing like a priest and it's deep and dark and menacing and it's oh it's just so good and it's so beautifully added like this show is straight up like an actor's dream because like okay the only spoiler alert I'm gonna give is that there's a lot of monologues but it it's Spo- spoilers for all you monologue heads. <laughs> <laughs> out there. A lot of monologues. Like every character gets like five. It's amazing. So like they get this chance to like just have like five minutes of screen time that's just them and getting all their emotions out and fucking holding nothing back and leaving it all on the floor. And like every episode I was like, I'm gonna learn that monologue. Ooh, I'm gonna learn that monologue. And like <laughs> I'm just going to memorize the entire show now because it's just so good and so well acted and so well directed. And like, I want to spoil it so bad, <laughs> but when I won't. We, when we all finish it, we can have a spoiler chat. We can have like a, a more in-depth cause I I've seen, I saw the pilot. Yeah. Cause like I said, it like when I watch a show with my wife, she like, if we watch it together, that means we have to have, like, the exact right amount of time together to watch an episode. And, like, with the <laughs> kids and how busy we are. And then, like, 
she gets like tired really early. So like last night I was like, oh, let's watch an episode. She's like, it's 9.15. I'm pretty tired. And I'm like, okay, well, we're never going to watch this show, are we? <laughs> but um, we watched the first one. <laughs> yeah, but I we both loved it. I mean, the, the pilot was great. And it, like you said, it, it really, it gives all the characters sort of time to breathe. That's probably the best thing that Flanagan typically does is he, his yeah. characters are so well realized. And then he gives them the time to sort of interact together, interact alone, like lets them sort of feel out their characters. This, this show right from the jump has like incredibly iconic, truly terrifying, like horror iconography built into it. Like the just and this isn't a spoiler because it happens within seconds of the show beginning, but the the image the guy sees before bed every night, like reminding of this horrible thing he's done, um, is one of the creepiest specters I've seen in a horror thing in years. So, yeah, it's so unique the way that he <clears throat> does it, where like with the flashing lights. Yeah, on, right. Like it's yeah. so the lights yeah it's it's great it's 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 a bit of stephen king um but it yeah yeah right it's 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 his influences are worn on his sleeve oh when you Um, get like maybe you're at episode one okay when you get like a couple more episodes in you're like oh i know exactly what story this is like well and there's even some like night of the hunter right at the gate in there like it there's there's all kinds of great yeah and i'm sure there's gonna be more as it goes but um I'm really excited to see it. I'm I'm excited that we have a filmmaker like Flanagan operating right now. And I'm excited that Netflix sort of, I guess, understands that he's as talented as he is and just is throwing money at him. I think that's pretty great. So like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let give the man a bunch of money and let him go and let's see what happens. Like, this is great. And it's getting great. uh, Yeah. Everyone on Twitter is like, oh my God, I marathon this whole show in like a day. I'm like, see, you give a good filmmaker some money and get you the audience. Like, <laughs> I can't, I, I just can't do that. I can't do 10 hours in a day, but I, I appreciate and respect yeah, people. Yeah, because you have kids. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm over here all lonely and shit. Obviously, I can waste a day watching a full screen. <laughs> <laughs> just crying, uh, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, it's yeah. like, a good sometimes it, a good cry can be pretty cathartic it's yeah and mike flanagan just truly knows how to tell a story and how to like cast actors in like such a perfect way and like there's some stuff you see in the first episode that again i can't spoil but there's some stuff you see in the first episode where you're like well that doesn't look right and then it pays off and you're like i fucking knew that didn't look right like mm-hmm. oh it's just oh well just chef's kiss for Mike Flanagan forever. Like me and him are going to, we're going to get married one day. I'm going to go back to religion for him. Like it's going to be great. <laughs> Mike, have you seen it? No, I, you know, anything made after 1997, I'm not going to get around to. <laughs> wow. How oh, res- resurrection just missed you. vinegar syndrome though true, especially when i'm true. spending the money for the yearly subscription yeah you might nice as well if you're already shelling out for you know, it. You no, the thing is like <laughs> it's great it's a great deal yeah but, like is. i have stacks really of shit that i have not watched oh dude dude you're, you're preaching to the choir i i mean every every month i'm getting like four or five movies i'm like i don't have time for this <laughs> i justify it to myself is that i am funding film restoration yep me too because they need that man, money right in front. 
And a lot of this stuff, if anybody really wanted it, shit, I'd sell it to them. I might give it to them. I don't know. Somebody might get yeah. a real nice present for Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of say, you know, weirdly enough, I, I, you know, I said I'm not going to have a lot to talk about. In point of fact, I don't really have anything to talk about watch-wise. But I do have stacks of things on my shelf staring at me every time I pass them. Like, you know, it is kind of look at me like it's today the day. You know, you, you bought me. I'm I'm the chosen, and you paid twenty bucks for me. You should probably watch me at some point. Hey, get back here, you bastard! You know, um, yeah. Just for whatever reason, I haven't gotten around to it. I've been writing like mad the last few days, and uh, I did. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it at length, but you know, I do. Uh, I do still keep up with The Walking Dead. So you know, what? I did watch. Oh, that. you're the one. Yep, I it's knew me. There was somebody out. There. I'm the guy. Um, and I I gotta tell you, it nearly lost me. At a couple of points over the years. The weird thing about that show is that it's gone on for so damn long. It, 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 the quality, it's been amazing to watch it rise and fall over the years. Where it's gone from being absolute like appointment television. Cannot wait to see the next installment. Love it as much as uh, you know the comic book. And then it's gone from something that's felt like a chore like something that I have to do just because, because you know what? I'm seven seasons in. What am I going to do? Am I going to quit now? And I think by the time I got to the end of the eighth season, I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit now. And, uh, and they got rid of the lead character and somehow, some way the show got better. And um, it's kind of remained really interesting. I don't think it's at the highest point that the show ever had, uh, which I think was probably under Glenn Mazzara, uh, or at least, you know, Darabont's pilot. But um, I- I'm still enjoying it. Like, I- I'm still digging the hell out of it. Uh, it just bums me out that when I was reading, have any of you read the comic? I did. Okay, I, cool. I read a significant amount of the comic <laughs> and then got, I it lost me. <laughs> I just, it was, yeah. I was reading it the same time I was watching the show, and I was like, the show's fucking me up because it's not following the comic book. I'm fucking done with this, and then I quit both. Yeah, the show, I watched the show for like (laughs) six seasons, and then the fucking Terminus thing. Yeah. And I was like, I'm gonna, I am, I'm never watching this again. It's like, I was so, eight episodes to get to a place that was then like, yeah, it was just on and on and on. Oh, we gotta get to this place. Like, there's no real plot. Which the show does all the time. It's like, well, it doesn't, we don't know a good story, so let's give them a place to go. And then when they get there, it's not what they thought it was, and they immediately leave. <laughs> and that's like every fucking season for a long time it did that. And and then, you know, so when, when Terminus came along and it just did that again, I was just like, I just can't with this anymore. Like, I don't have enough time to watch the things I want to watch, right. let alone the thing I don't want to watch. So, And the comic, similarly, I thought the comic was better for longer um but it just yeah it, at a certain point it just kind of lost me i think if i had to wager a guess i think people because i i get that feeling that people kind of dropped out with comic eventually too but i i think two things led to that it was one that very thing that you said about the show how it would just it just you know it has a structure and then it just keeps cycling right yeah. and uh that coupled with the fact that Kirkman kept telling everybody that the comic book was going to go on forever. It's like, you know, you even get a little exhausted with the comic and what was brilliant. I don't know if any of you uh, knew about this when it happened, but the comic ended without warning and it ended in like the most incredible way, like in the most 
I think two issues from the final issue, something truly shocking happens. And then there is like an epilogue to that event. And then literally with no press releases, not a, a stone's throw away from the 300th issue, which you would think they would want to get to, to be, the, you know, like a milestone. They didn't do it. Um, they just, the very next issue, like hit stands and trumpeted <laughs> on the cover was like the last issue. And everybody was like, what the fuck? And that <laughs> last issue is one of the greatest single issues of any comic book I've ever read. I say that without hyperbole. What's amazing about it is not only is it this incredible contained like bottle story in its own right, uh, but it provides with its finality, it provides a context and a framework for the entire comic book that you've been reading up until that point that kind of like you realize that Kirkman wasn't going to write this thing forever, that that was a complete lie. And he admits as much in his follow-up, you know, he's like, no, there was always an ending. I just like trolling people and saying we were going to go for at least 500 issues. And then we were going to go even further than that. If people are still reading. And then you get to that final issue, which is like just kind of heartbreakingly brilliant. And you realize it's like, no, he was always writing to this ending and everything that happened up until this point made sense. Even when it seemed like it was just spinning its wheels, it really wasn't. The TV show doesn't have that. No. And the TV show will never have that because everything that the comic book took to get to that point, it's already fucked up in the show. And I got to say, that was one of the draws for the TV show early on, which was, um, you know, when Darabont said, look, you know, when you show up to the show, you're going to recognize the characters from the comics, but we're going to add more characters. We're going to shuffle some of the deaths. You know, we're still going to be as off balance as an uninitiated viewer. And I was like, that sounds great. And Darabont kind of knew how to do it. And Glenn Mazzara kind of knew how to do it. But at a certain point, again, like when you get to Terminus, it's like they realized they were like, okay, we're starting to catch up with the comic now and we need to go ahead and, uh, you know, we need to stave off like our storyline a bit. So let's just, uh, you know, people like the governor's storyline. What if we just do that and call everybody something different, you know? (laughs) <laughs> and we'll put it in a train station instead of like, yeah. you know, this little, 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 you know, self-contained town. And it feels like that's what the show has kind of done over and over. Honestly, the show is still doing that. But at least now, instead of doing riffs on old favorites, you know, they're they're populating the show with uh, at least interesting characters. And they're still keeping the drama high. Like, I got to say, I the current showrunner, um, uh, Angela Kang, I think she came on right as the Rick character was sort of seen off the show. And she's really sort of invigorated the series and made it kind of really watchable and really interesting again. So uh, weirdly enough, this is the final season that they're in too, before they do whatever the hell they're going to do. I think there are going to be like three theatrical Rick Grimes movies. There's going to be like an <laughs> anthology show. There's going to be a, a, a Daryl and Carol three show. It's like Rick Grimes movies. Yeah. We, it's like AMC is like, look, we're never. Can't wait. <laughs> we, we need, <laughs> we need the, the fourth Rick Grimes movie to be a crossover with the fifth avatar. <laughs> I think. I think those are the two franchises that need to just never end. And Could Rick we need Avatar to unite them. Instead of like in a big yeah. movie, whatever the fuck, can he Avatar I mean, himself into a zombie? And we can introduce time travel. I mean, it, there's already zombies. There could be time travel. Why not? So I mean, you're joking, but 
There is <laughs> this. Okay, so there was an issue where uh, Rick gets knocked out by Michonne. Um, like he he goes a little nuts, and she pops him with a uh, a gun butt, right? Yeah. And that's it. And the next issue, like he wakes up from like a dream, you know, like a horrible dream. He wakes up and he's freaking out and everyone tells him like he, he lost it a little bit and blah, blah, blah. Right. In the 75th issue, as the celebratory thing, they did this. They were like, look, we're never collecting this in the trades. Like this is never going to be part of the main story. This is just for fun. But for sticking with us this long uh, in this special issue, you get this. And OK, so the entire comic book series is in black and white. In the 75th issue, you get a normal issue, and then in the back, in big, bold, beautiful color, you get this story called Rick Grimes 3000. <laughs> and basically, when yes. he was knocked unconscious, he wakes up in the future, uh, where he finds out that basically, you know, uh, <laughs> aliens were responsible for the zombies. They are now taking over the planet. Uh, it, he was missing a hand in the comic. They never did that in the show, but uh, he now has a lightsaber affixed to his hand. Um, you know, like all of this absolutely batshit insane This stuff. sounds like a much better show. Yeah, I like this <laughs> And at the end of it, realize, like, they, I'm just they saying, like, a... this is a show I'd watch. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, the governor is, uh, you know, who was killed is brought back and he's like half bionic now. It's just the most ridiculous, insane shit. And then when you get to the end of it, you realize this is his dream. This was his fever dream when he gets knocked out, right? And I was like, okay, that's that's kind of fun. But weirdly enough, there's this image comic right now that's an anthology thing that picks up that story and is carrying it on. So, yeah, if people want lightsaber hand floating they can get it. <laughs> All right. So, no, I, uh, I'm keeping up with Walking Dead. One last thing I'll just say, uh, mostly as far as, like, Horror stuff goes. I am reading a novel right now, blazing through it, and it is fucking fantastic. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones, "My Heart Is a Chainsaw." Have any of you read this? Or... Read that book. It is so fucking great. I am. Uh, I just picked it up. Yesterday. Hello. Hello. Yesterday. Uh... Oh, hi. Hello? Can anybody hear? Yeah, I can hear everybody. Oh my god. How am I? You're, You're good, good now. now. Damn. Okay. Uh, I'll slightly edit that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, no, my heart is a chainsaw is fucking fantastic. Uh, it follows a half indigenous teenage girl, uh, living in Idaho who is, she's us. Like she has like this encyclopedic knowledge of not specifically like, not just horror movies, but specifically slashers. And she sees everything in her life, which is not great. Like, she has an abusive father. She's kind of an outcast in her small community. You know, uh, things are not great for her. And she sees everything through the lens of slasher movies. So she sees everybody as falling into specific archetypes that you would find in slasher movies. And the cool thing about it is, is that, one, that would be enough for me. Like, coming-of-age novel with, like, a horror nerd, that's enough. But then an actual slasher pops up in her town. Hmm. And uh, it, it kind of goes from there. But it is – the writing is great. The, the the lead character is somebody that I've never seen in a novel before. Uh, I hope they turn it into a movie because it's just itching for it. But, uh, yeah, if you if you dig horror novels, definitely pick that one up. I literally bought it on, like – I went to our Indigo, which is, like, Barnes & Nobles. I don't know what you guys have there. And – I we're America. We don't have we don't have bookstores anymore. Yeah, yeah. it's called <laughs> Amazon. All right. 
I went to go and buy the new issue of Town and Country because John Waters is in it, and I was like, well, if I'm already here, I might as well buy a book. It would seem rude not to. <laughs> but then I also got the, like, this week my copy of uh, Elvira's autobiography finally came in. Oh, cool. I saw that you like, posted about that, and she, she responded, right? She reposted me in her stories, and I was like, oh, my God, shut up. Get out. How dare you? <laughs> then I fangirled out for a little bit, and it was great. That's amazing. That was as I know, I need to pick that up. I, I did not get the chance to see her uh, 40th anniversary special on Saturday either, but I'm hoping that has Shutter put it up yet? Can you watch? Yes, it? they have. Oh, they have. Yes, I saw it. I thought I saw so on Twitter this afternoon. Okay, good because I missed it too because I was too busy watching Midnight Mass. Yeah, hey, uh, sh- she showed City of the Dead, which we just talked about in an episode last week. <laughs> oh, nice! Very cool. Um, I saw that she, what was the first movie that she showed? I saw people tweeting about it and I was like, Elvira, okay. Mistress of the Dark. Was it? Oh, okay. Maybe it was the second Didn't movie. Didn't she also was... show Messiah of Evil? Yes, she did. She closed with Messiah of Evil and she did yeah. House on Haunted Hill. House oh, on Haunted Hill. That's the one she was doing. Yeah. And I heard the opening, like instead of running the opening of the movie, she did like the, you know, the shot from the beginning of House on Haunted Hill where it's the black and white shot of Ennis House. And then you see Vincent Price's face superimposed over oh, his. Oh yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. Apparently, the opening, she did that. Like, it was a shot of the Ennis house, and instead of Vincent Price, it was her face, you know, uh, directly addressing the audience. And I was like, fuck, I need to see this. That sounds amazing. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's all on here. It's split into four episodes. It's beautiful. I'm going to watch it all. I can't wait. Um, at some point, we as a society need to go ahead and start discussing whether or not she is like um, a vampire, an immortal out of like the Highlander <laughs> franchise. Like, something is happening there that. You know, we, we, we've let it go on long enough, I think. But she's 70, and she still looks exactly the same. And I have questions. Is she? Well, it's because uh, coming out as queer, it's not putting up with men's shit for most of her life, I think. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I wonder if that's, yeah. That, that might, I yeah I, it's either that or... Uh, All the time, you know, she's definitely aging me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe there's an Elizabeth Bathory thing happening there. Maybe she's bathing in uh, people's blood. Who knows? Maybe men's blood. You know, that's fine. She's got a really hideous painting. In a hidden room. <laughs> That's a very Dorian Gray situation. Yeah, right. I, I'd like to think the painting is of Joe Bob Briggs, though. And, uh, you know, every time she's meant to age, he does instead. So, Yeah, he's uh, he has aged, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that is you true. know, though, I will say, though, I, and watching Elvira a little bit, I, I, she doesn't bring the trivia the way that Joe Bob Briggs does. And it's two, it's two different kind of animals there. Uh, but I, I think I just enjoy the Joe Bob uh, approach a little bit more than the Elvira approach. I get that. I'm I'm waiting for the crossover because now that Shutter has them both, like, come on, make make like this '90s fan dream come true. Just have both of them host a show together. How could they not do that? I want a crossover. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, might I want the SCU, like Shutter Cinematic Universe, but not <laughs> cinematic. I don't know. Uh, you know what? If they're going to do that, though, I mean, they brought back Joe Bob. They brought back Elvira. Uh, give me Rhonda Shear and Gilbert Gottfried. You and know? you got to bring me... uh, Sven Gulli, my, my local guy, into that mix, too. Yes. Yeah. Damn it. Bring, bring them all back. I remember um, it was probably about a decade ago, Horror Hound, they did this uh, convention where they brought all of the 
existing horror hosts together. And it was, uh, it was absolutely amazing. And it was crazy to see that there's still so many, they've just moved, um, you know, online instead of like, uh, you know, hosting yes. after hours shows on cable access or stuff like that, you know, instead it's like, no, check out our YouTube show. Um, I think Marlena midnight was one that I met whose show was actually a lot of fun. I bought this DVD compilation. I was like, Oh my God, it's, this feels like the modern version of what that used to be. And I just, uh, I kind of loved it. It made me nostalgic for something I wasn't even that familiar with growing up. But I love it. Love it so much. Ooh. But Rhonda Shear, come on, just shut her up all night. Like, give me that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Does anybody understand a reference, please? Rhonda I guess. Shear? You, you stay up all night. Come on. We know what's going on. Okay. All right. I, I thought I was the only one. All right. Now, before we dive into the commentary proper, does anyone have anything else to throw out? Anything they've seen? Any recommendations they'd like to make before we uh, we move on? Good. Nope. Nope. All right. Let's go ahead and go into the commentary proper. Now, folks out there, as always, let's go ahead and queue up our media together and get to the very first frame of the movie. Um, I think, okay, so what are we watching here? I know I am... Uh, <laughs> I have a I have a really nice Warner Archive Blu-ray in storage, so I'm watching an SD version <laughs> on Amazon Prime. Um, Paul, I think you have the Warner Archive Blu-ray that you actually get to watch tonight. Is that right? Yes, it is not in storage. It is it is right here in front of me. Is it an SD? Tell me yes. Make me feel better. Uh, yeah, my it's it's the they did a limited issue uh, Blu-ray in standard definition, and I was like, that's the one I want. I want. You want, that I want the standard definition, uh, you know, window box. For the birds. Yeah, yeah they, they actually super, <laughs> they they superimposed uh, tracking lines on it. Um, yes. So I'm pretty psyched about that. And it is a pan and scan. So that way, <laughs> when there's two people, it can kind of pan on over really awkwardly to the other one. So pretty psyched about the framing. Um, I don't know how your guys' opens, but because I'm on a VHS, mine does the Anchor Bay logo, and then it goes right into a Hammer production. Yeah, we'll go ahead and cue it up to the Hammer production part of it. Now, Mike, you said you're watching Amazon Prime like I am, right? Yes, I am. So we're going to go past that Warner Brothers logo, the modern Warner Brothers logo. I'm sorry, the absolutely authentic logo to 1973. (laughs) And Allie, you are watching a VHS, is that right? I am watching the beautiful Anchor Bay VHS from the Hoimer, the Hammer collection. I, I I envy you. I saw a picture of your copy, and it took me back to the late 90s when I was a teen. And uh, it was right after DVDs came out. And, you know, we were getting bonus features, and movies were actually, you know, getting commentaries and, uh, you know, widescreen presentations where... You know, it was affordable for regular folk. And that was a like, big like, deal to have widescreen presentations on VHS. As somebody who went yes. out and bought a Laserdisc player when he was 15, like, that's all I wanted. And it was because I wanted audio commentaries and letterboxing, which is funny when I look back on by spending the $100 on that Halloween Criterion collection, Laserdisc. <laughs> you can now get all that stuff and more on the $6 Target Blu-ray. <laughs> so true. How yeah. changed. I remember uh, I never I I remember just salivating reading every issue of Fangoria in the 90s and hearing about like, uh, yeah, if you buy the Hellraiser Laserdisc, you get to hear Clive Barker and Ashley Lawrence 
talk about the movie as it runs as an option. I was like, what? Yeah, it's called a commentary. Get the fuck out of here. And it's like hearing about deleted scenes and all of this stuff. I'm like, where the fuck can you see all this? Okay, Laserdisc. I need a Laserdisc player. I went to my local Suncoast and I was like, I need a Laserdisc player. And he was like, <laughs> this older man, he was like, no, you don't. And I was like, hey, sir. Pardon, <laughs> You're probably but right. I, but I do. And he was right. like, nope. He's giving you good advice. <laughs> and he's like, you don't need that. And he's like, you're going to want to hold off and you're going to want to buy a DVD player. And I was like, what, what the fuck is a DVD player? And he turns me from the Laserdisc section with about four, 500 maybe Laserdiscs with these gorgeous boxes. Like some of them were just like, you know, they were packaged like vinyls with like thin cardboard, you know, they just slid the discs in. But others had these, you know, it's what we would expect like a label like Vinegar Syndrome to package stuff in, you know, the, the equivalent to that. And he turns me from that section to their DVD section where they had 12 DVDs. Huh. And I was just like, no, no, I think I want the other one. But he talked me into it. I went DVD, and um, I was so happy. But yeah, for whatever reason, there was – in that weird sort of transitionary period from VHS to DVD, VHS was trying to do DVD shit on VHS. Like uh, I remember MGM put out a copy of Phantasm in widescreen with 5.1 audio. Which I don't even know how it's possible that they had 5.1 audio on magnetic tape, but they did it. Um, but one of the coolest things that anybody did, Anchor Bay started putting out, um, you know, like obviously like Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. You know, they're, they're money makers. How many for... copies of Army of Darkness have you bought on DVD in your life? Fuck. Uh, hell, let's go back to VHS. Um, oh, honestly, have... probably a good dozen. Like I, I, it'd have to be, uh, with all of the various cuts and the bootleg edition and the upgrades and the, the, then eventually, yeah, Blu-rays and 4Ks and so, so many times. And so obviously those were there, but one of the, uh, they actually started putting out like hammer titles in these really great clamshell cases with widescreen, uh, widescreen pictures. And I just, I, I, I loved it because those weren't coming out on dvd quite yet there was a bit of a lag there so it was nice to see some of these hammer movies even back then that uh yeah i wasn't super familiar with at the time so Allie, when i saw that picture that you uh you showed of your copy of satanic rights i was just like oh that, that takes me back i'm old enough now to be able to say stuff like that takes me back um i feel old now that's how I feel knowing that there's an I Know What You Did Last Summer TV show and all the kids are like, oh, this looks cool. And I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> that uh, that trailer is Billy's really. like, I know what you did last summer. I like, know what. I know. Oh, my God. When the pandemic started and that meme went around of the I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> like, you did nothing last summer. Did he, okay, so just okay before we dive into the commentary, has everybody seen the trailer? <laughs> I know we did last God. summer. I wasn't gonna say I anything. I wasn't thing. gonna go negative, but you know what? I I I know we did last summer. I don't. I don't watch. I haven't seen me, it. And that trailer pissed me off. So uh, I don't, has everybody wow. seen it? It, it looks like shit, and I'm gonna watch all of it. Same here. Same here. Mike, I watch. I don't watch the trailers. No, you know. I try to. You know. Them. Come on. You know. You, Okay, I'm sorry. I'm it, sorry. It was made after 1997, so he is not, yeah. well, not, not familiar. So seen, I know it's he's not 20 years old yet. Why the fuck am I going to watch it? 
<laughs> you know what? That's fair. Maybe we should wait 20 years on stuff because not only do you get that initial. Well, that's when it's going to be underappreciated. Everybody will be running their article about it, about how nobody appreciated it at the time. Cough, Castle, cough. Um, Dark Castle deserves its day. Damn. Well, it's getting its day, don't you think? One of my favorite things that I programmed at the Music Box of Horrors Driving this year was House of Wax with Waxwork. Oh my god. So oh, good. that's great. That's really great. And I don't even like House of Wax that much, but I know that it'll sell, but I love <laughs> Waxwork. Oh, no, Waxwork's I great. I love House of Wax. <clears throat> I, I like them both, but w- yeah, Waxwork is a great movie. That'd be a really fun one to see in a theater. Yeah, because that one only played it. Like, Waxworks one of those ones that only played in theaters for like a week before it went to video. I think that's where most people saw it. So to be able to see it at a drive in, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And yes. something like House of Wax, that may have never played a drive in because they were definitely uh, falling out of vogue by the mid 2000s. That's I, a good point. Yeah, I doubt it did. I have yet to go to a drive in. I feel like I'm not even complete as a uh, as a moviegoer for having missed out on that. But I just, uh, you know, by the, by the time I grew up, they they weren't really a thing anymore. So uh, Are I don't know. Publicly shame you on this podcast for not having gone to a drive-in. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, ten seconds, and then we're going on to the commentary. Ready in three, two, one. You get ten seconds of making fun and go. Wait, are we pressing play? I missed that. Oh my god. No, no, <laughs> okay, this is this is a no. Sorry. Okay, you know what? We're just going to do the commentary. That's Ready, great. everyone. Let's go ahead and go to the first frame <laughs> of the movie. Uh, it's going to look like, uh, you know, like Don coming up on a building, something happening there. You know what? It'll be fun. Anyway, go to the first frame. We're going to do a countdown and press play together. Ready, everyone, in five. I, I already four. fucked up. Hold on. I already oh. fucked up. <laughs> Hold, everyone. I was looking for the play button. Hold <laughs> Okay, hold on. Warner Brothers. Yeah. I'll Appropriate back logo. There we go. There we go. Hammer. Hammer. Hammer horror. All right, everyone. Hammer time here in five, four, three, two. Actually, how have I never said a hammer time on this podcast before? Not once. I'm kind of proud of myself, but also a little bit embarrassed. Just occurred to me. Anyway, sorry. In five, four, three, two. One and play. Uh, a hammer production. All right, here we go. This the just goes right into it. The eighth hammer know. Dracula film. Does your pretty good title card there. in the corner? What's that? Does yours have like a weird Dracula silhouette in like the? Oh box? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't remember seeing that when I watched this, but now I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's all I can see. <laughs> I remember the first time I, I watched this movie, I was just kind of like, what? what the fuck? It's Dracula as a Bond girl dancing over the opening credits <laughs> to set us up for what we're going to see, you know? So here's some fun trivia about this one is that this one didn't even make it to the States until the late 70s. Yeah. yeah under a oh, different title, right? Too. Yeah, it, uh, it didn't make it to the States until Max Rosenberg bought it. And retitled the film uh, Count Dracula and His Vampire Bride. It played Chicago. It opened in Chicago in October of 1978. Uh, Rosenberg, this Max Rosenberg guy, he was from the Bronx. He co-founded, but he was, co-founded Amicus with Milton Sabatsky in 62. Oh, nice. So, yeah, he, so he's got some horror cred. He produced Doctor Who and the Daleks. 
Daleks Invasion Earth, 20, uh, 2150 AD. And uh, this is notable for me because his final film credit was Pedita Durango from 97, the one with Rosie oh, Perez yeah. and Javier Bardem, which we're playing out a double feature with From Dust Till Dawn. And- <clears throat> that sounds amazing. That does sound good. Sam, so, yeah, we didn't get this one until <laughs> we had to wait. America had to wait years to finally see the satanic rites of Dracula. It must have been agony to have to wait. I mean, <laughs> I imagine people were just foaming at the mouth for this one. Well, well, think, about this. well think about this movie coming out. Like, in 73, this is post-Exorcist, post-Night of the Living Dead. It already feels dated. And they're really trying yeah. to catch up and make it modern. Imagine what it felt like when this came to the States in 78, like post-Halloween. Oh, yeah. Mm. It, it probably felt like it was 20 years old. You know, like that, right. that's the other thing is it was right. And Hammer was not this. This is a movie that really, really shows why the studio wasn't going to last a whole lot longer because they, they, they couldn't quite tap into the zeitgeist, um, even when they had like an open book test, even when they knew <laughs> what was popular and what was happening. They couldn't quite get it, get the formula right, you know, like and and this movie really just sheds any semblance of like the gothic horror roots uh, that this franchise is kind of typically bathed in um, or or stemming from and and just goes full tilt into this kind of I joked about like James Bond earlier, but it's it's very much trying to do that. This is very much, and it's funny because this is a year before Christopher Lee shows up as the man with the golden gun. I thought for right. sure this would have been a response to that because, so we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, how we felt like maybe that Dracula 80, 1972 is a reaction to Count Yorga. But mm-hmm. then we had a couple like modern day vampire tales past that, including Blackula, uh, which I think is an excellent modern day vampire yeah, tale like yeah, i think it kind sure. of brings it into the modern times pretty slickly and this one just still it's trying so hard especially with all the set design like i kind of like this opening how it's kind of switching between this ultra modern laboratory kind of set with your typical hammer uh satanic rights kind of thing with the robes and everything so it's off to a good start but it just this movie runs out of steam real fast in my opinion yeah i would agree with that especially considering that we how many times do we, maybe I'll count this time around. How many times do we cut back to that ritual in the space of like 10 minutes in this film? It, it just feels like we get the same thing over and over and over and over before, you know, um, the, the poor girl is eventually stabbed. Um, and yet, weirdly enough, it seemed like she was having a pretty great time up until that point. It's more than a little creepy. Well, and and to your point, I think part of the issue, not just not just the monotony of that, but the fact is, you know, they're treating that ritual like it's still something shocking to us as an audience. <laughs> and, you know, gosh, it's been year. How many years since Devil Rides Out? How many years since even like Kiss of the Vampire? Right. Like the early 60s where they were showing basically occult sequences, you know, cult gatherings which at that time, you know, was a little bit more surprising and and perhaps shocking just in and of itself. At this point, that's old hat. Like you said, we're we're post 
Rosemary's baby, you know, the, the exorcist it's, this is something that is no longer um, just a shocking thing to have. You have to do more with it than just have a group of people worshiping the devil. Um, And the movie doesn't seem to, to really understand that. Um, And I think there's that core misunderstanding of what is shocking and what, you know, what, what constitutes uh, a cult horror. Um, And then moving very quickly away from that stuff to get into uh, this, this kind of odd spy mix, you know, the spy thriller thing with a, with a virus that he's going to unleash on the world. Like he's some sort of, like crazed Bond villain and not fucking Dracula. Like, 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 even, but it's so imaginative. I love an imaginative sequel. Like, and I, again, like last week, I, that's what I like about Dracula AD 1972. It's what I like about something like Jason goes to hell, but this movie just squanders it around every corner. And I think that's what's so frustrating about it because it is an interesting concept to recast Dracula as a Bond villain. It is, and I like it, but I would have, I, I wish they had done, and again, this is a movie I really enjoy watching because it's so fucking zany, um, but like, you know, even Van Helsing's kind of like, has to sort of come up with a reason why Dracula would do it. He's got like, oh, well, he must be really lonely, and he just wants to see it all end, and that's just something he sort of infers, <laughs> you know, it's not something that's really delivered by the narrative. You have to um, forgive me, and- um... You, you guys keep saying Dracula. Do you, do you mean D.D. Denim? Is that who we're talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about uh, CEO D.E. Denim. Yeah, he's, uh, I don't know. We see his office later. It's it's pretty it's pretty well kept, if not a little boring. Well, the office is great. I love all the kind of ultra-modern 70s futurist furniture in here. But they, again, they don't do enough of that because even then you get to Van Helsing's office and it just looks like Van Helsing's office yeah. from yeah. the previous film. Whereas if everything was gone, because when you get to the, I think it's the Scotland Yard offices with the big white table uh, and it's very kind of stark and very almost THX 1138-ish. Yes. And it's like, if the rest yeah. of the movie looked like that, it would, it would have that tone. That's a good point. Paul, yeah. your point earlier, and Mike, Allie, let me know what you think too. Um, do you think Hammer thought it was enough to retread what they have been doing over and over and over again with like the satanic, you know, right? Uh, do you think it was enough for them in their minds to sort of show that and to consider it to still be shocking and to even to think that audiences would find that shocking simply by adding nudity? Like, did they think that would be enough, do you think? Because that is, I think, the first time we've ever seen nudity in a completely violent context in Hammer. Am I wrong about that? Like, we, we've gotten one or the other, you know, and they've danced with one another, certainly, but their issues with the censors up until this point kind of kept them, you know, firmly on one side or the other. Is, is this the first movie where you sort of get both at once? Because I feel like it is. It's a good question. I don't know for sure. I don't know. I mean, it's it's certainly there, like uh, one of the more right there. Oh yeah, yeah. Here we are back at the cult, the cult again. Love. <laughs> I, I, it's one of the more brazen uses of it. If it's not yeah. the, I'm trying to think of a. You might be right. This might be the first time that you really see like direct, vi- like nudity and violence interacting in this way so overtly well yeah like a fully nude woman writhing getting nearly and, orgasmically yeah. having blood poured that's, that's, on her getting stabbed 
at Fully Nude Women is Mia Martin, who uh, was made uh, was uh, part of another part of the British institution, Benny Hill. Oh, speaking really? of sexuality, I didn't know, that. In, uh, oh, in I didn't know that's awesome. What an icon! Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, I'm guessing she was one and a half dressed woman, and on the Benny Hill show, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do think. White. Oh, sorry, Balka. No, no, you you go first. You're good. No, I was just going to say, like, you know, at the very beginning, it notes, obviously, that this movie was directed by Alan Gibson, who directed 80, 1972. I was going to ask you all, like, I think 80, 1972, one, I think it's a great movie. I think it's a blast. And it kind of blew me away to do a little bit of research on this movie to find that critics of the time. OK, they didn't like the movie. But one constant refrain from several reviewers was, at least it's better than Dracula 80, 1972, that, which I think that, is fucking batshit. False. I definitely think Dracula 80, 79 is way better. It, it's it feel kind of gimmicky. Like, we're like, what can we do with Dracula now? Oh, I know. Give him some disco. Oh, I know. Let's, like, <laughs> make him a James Bond actor. It'll be great. Next time, let's put him on ice. Like, it'll be great. It just feels like that's where they're progressing. Yeah, it, it just, but absolutely baffles me though, because it's every like you said, so many of the reviews, including Joe Dante in his trailers from Hell, uh, yes. that he did, says that it's better than 1972. Joseph, no, that's no, no. that's but crazy. He also says, I, I he don't get that at all. Way better. He also says that his devil worshiping friends say that this is the most accurate devil worshiping uh, portion of a film they've ever seen. So well, they're all boring well, as hell in real life. <laughs> Um, I know. Yeah. I, and I, I, I appreciate just, the, Oh, good. No, I just, uh, to finish that thought, I was, uh, looking at this movie though. we have the same director who directed in 80, 1972, I think a really stylish, good looking movie with some really interesting camera work. Like the photography in it, I think is great. And then we get to this movie, which was, yes. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. We get to this movie, which was one year later, same director. And everything is just kind of flat and uninteresting. And the camera moves sometimes, sure, but for the most part, it's like, you know, it, it's it's run and gun like Master and Two Pops, you know? It, it just feels kind of not merely uninspired. I hate to say it. It feels kind of lazy in comparison to his previous effort, and it, uh, which just it, it boggles the mind because to me as a director, he was so successful only one year prior with 801972, and then – one year later, we get this. It kind of reminds me. I mean, this 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 movie is kind of like uh, the Saw 3D to uh, the previous year Saw 6, you know, like uh, which is a weird comparison to draw, but same director and uh, wildly different um, results. And I just wonder if Gibson, you know, there's no way to know. I, I haven't seen any interviews with him or anything pointing this to be the case, but I, I wonder if he kind of said everything he had to say with the character in the previous movie, and this one was, if not done under protest, then was well, done as sort of a, uh, you know, just work for hire, why not? You know, I think it's fairly obvious that, you know, Christopher Lee was checked out at this point, so oh, maybe yeah. he was too. Yeah, and it was probably hard to make a movie where Christopher Lee is featured so heavily, where the man was just, like you said, very clearly not engaged at all. Like, we we talked about this before, you know, Cushing was one of those guys that always, always gave a shit, or at least he pretended to. Like, he was he was good at showing up to be in a movie. 
uh, Christopher Lee uh, wears it on his sleeve. Like if he is, <laughs> if he does not give a shit, his performance does not give a shit. Um, and and it's it's tough to see that. I think there's moments in this movie where Lee comes alive as Dracula. Uh, certainly when he's more when he's interacting with Cushing, like you can kind of tell that Lee picks it up a little bit when he's when he's kind of dealing with Cushing, especially in more intense sequences. Um, but Cushing really is the saving grace uh, of, of the film for me. Um, while it's always fun to see them together, but I, I do like one thing I wanted to say, it was like the whole beginning, you could watch this movie. If you didn't know the title and if there wasn't a weird Dracula shadow crawling <laughs> up the, uh, the, the entire fucking credit sequence, you could watch the first like 25 minutes of this movie and literally just think it's a spy thriller and, and have no idea that it really is. Any, and with weird occultist background yeah, it's like it would be cool if, if this was handled like as a surprise it's dracula movie because that would be kind of neat like like well, if you got the halfway way the, movie, in... the way the movie plays out it's like that i mean obviously all the marketing materials and the title gets yeah, yeah but... that's it's kind of yeah the problem but yeah no i, I, I like that idea to reveal yeah it. <laughs> yeah it kind of you know it's like it's like putting what the serial killer is doing on the cover it, it takes away a little bit of the <laughs> excitement when it when it's revealed halfway through the film what's going on um but i i do like the Alibi idea Fox, of that uh, stone cold fox right there just have to get it out there Ooh, oh yeah. yes absolutely yes for days i like that belt she's wearing it makes me you know well i wonder what she's into what does she do in her off time <laughs> yeah 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 she's she's kind of the straight and narrow person at work but you get the impression she has fun after hours <laughs> so um i i <laughs> you were talking about lee paul and i uh i ran across this quote which i think is absolutely amazing that comes from him um do you know what the original title was meant to be with this movie uh which it's utterly just fucking insane but at the same time it uh I think it would have been more honest in a weird way. Uh, does anybody know this? I, I I do know this, but I'll see it. I'll I'll hold back. I'll hold back. Yeah, okay, it is. I know, uh, I know as well, but I'll yeah. Okay, there was a there was a stage and film musical review called uh, Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris at the time. The working title of this film was originally, and I didn't realize this. I was looking in the uh, the Hearn Barnes book, uh, The Hammer Story. Even though Don Houghton, who wrote AD 1972, is credited with the screenplay on this film, it was originally written uh, by Jimmy Sangster, who mm. uh, wrote in, I think, March 72, he penned a treatment called Dracula is Dead, But Alive, and Well, and Living in London, which was eventually changed to Dracula is Dead, and Well, and Living in London as a title, and Eventually, Houghton came in to write the script, and Lee was uh, presumably browbeaten by Carreras and threatened with the loss of jobs yet again uh, in order to rope him into doing the movie one last time. But yeah, that was that was the title: "Dracula's Dead and Well and Living in London." I kind of love it though. It, it does I, make I it sound like a comedy, it. but I, I there's something about it. It's got it's got some flair to it, which I appreciate. I'm doing the next one under protest, Lee said, regarding that title. I think it's fatuous. I can think of 20 adjectives. Fatuous, pointless, absurd. It's not a comedy, but it's a comic title. I don't see the point. I don't see what they hope to achieve. I just hope they, uh, talking about the audience, I just hope they realize I am struggling against insuperable odds on occasion <laughs> to remain true to the author's original character. What? 
Lee is so fucking done with this franchise at this point that I'm. Oh, Lee doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, at the end, he's like, anyway, see my new movie when it opens next week. <laughs> it's like a PR oh, totally. circuit, just fucking complaining. I love it. Well, he did. Like, uh, apparently, according to, um, uh, again, the, 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 the book, he, um, he would actually carry a copy of Bram Stoker's novel with him on set <laughs> and would try to work in lines. Like, he wouldn't say the lines that were written for him, but he would try and plug in Stoker lines directly into it. Like, there's a line later on in the movie where uh, it's, my revenge has just begun. I spread it over centuries and time is on my side. And he just kind of shoehorned that in. I, I guess at that point people were like, ah, fuck it, why not? It's the eighth movie. He he doesn't want to be here anyway. And uh, after after the film came out in 74 which would have been around i think wicker man time for lee when he gave like you know what was i think probably a career best performance uh coming off the movies that he obviously hated uh he did an interview he firmly stated i will not play that character anymore i no longer wish to do it i no longer have to do it and i no longer intend to do it it is now part of my professional past just one of the many roles i have played in a total of 124 films just one of the roles I've played in a total of 124 films. Like, he is even saying, like, look, this is not me. I don't care that much about the character. Overall, in my career, it's a very minor part. Please stop asking me about it. <laughs> you know, what? I kind of love it because that is totally something I think of Hollywood past that I don't think we'll ever really see again because everybody's kind of actors are so, what do I want to say, like, like curtailed by their agents and their publicists to not say anything so incendiary. So mm-hmm. that's it, it, a throwback to a time. I don't think we're ever going to get in movie making in Hollywood again. And, you know, it, it, there was even the case where we could hear something like that, like even, and fuck, I hate to, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a shame where he's gone, but like, I'm even second guessing myself, you know, mentioning say this it. now, but say uh, it. Mel Gibson, 20 years ago, before, uh, you know, before everything, uh, he did a movie that he's, I actually thought he's, was... He, he's a pain in the ass, but he's a good actor. We can't deny that. He, no, he's a very yeah. good actor. Piece of shit, maybe, but good actor. Oh, he's, uh, a, he's such a good actor. He's a good actor. <laughs> like, it's such a bummer that he's such a garbage human. It's the There's same thing a with lot James of... Woods. James Woods is a great actor, but yeah. I think James Woods yeah. was actually just playing himself when he played scumbags for most of his career. <laughs> Yeah, you look yeah. at Max Renner, and it's really like, true. man, he's a great actor. And then, such a great I mean, actor. yeah, such a garbage human. Look, most most celebrities suck, and we just have to get past that. I mean, and and most of the celebrities that suck will never find out that they suck. You know, oh, no, we just live in blissful all... ignorance that that they. Or they yeah. just like they suck in private. They don't outwardly suck. They don't get. Yeah, right. They probably all kind of suck, but you know, we just know some of them suck. But there are varying degrees of suck. Like you get the Mel Gibson when he's just. You know, and I remember for the longest time, people were trying to, hell, I did. You know, I, I, I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out, people were like, this movie is inherently anti-Semitic. And it's like, well, you know, not this. No, because there are Jewish people that he presents in the movie that are not. And then, like, he goes on his fucking anti-Semitic rant. And it's like, okay, maybe he is, but he's battling with alcoholism. And maybe that, you know, and then the audio tapes came out where, you know, he he's arguing with his wife and she accuses him of punching her in the mouth while she's holding their child 
And his response to that isn't, that never happened, you're crazy, no. His response was, you deserved it. And it's like, okay, he Oof. is dog shit? Yeah, like, like, he can fuck off into the ocean. Lots but, of uh, piece of shit, like... But before before he revealed himself to be a, a, a fucking demon, I remember his movie came out, um, and I forget who the director was. I liked the movie. Uh, it was called The Million Dollar Hotel. It had Mila Jovovich in it and um, oh, uh, Jeremy Davies, I think. And I, I remember enjoying the movie, but at the time, like – and this was during the period where he would have been promoting it. He would have been in full PR mode, right? And somebody asked him about it, and he's like, I've seen that movie. It's boring as a dog's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine anybody saying that these days. And I, uh, Mike, I agree with you. I, I kind of, I miss that honesty. And I think it goes yeah. toward, you know, I was just listening to a podcast today and I, I, I respect the people on the podcast. I'm not going to name it, but you know, one of the things they were talking about was it's that sort of thing where it's like, well, why say anything negative about a movie ever? Why not just spend that energy talking about something you love and this? And it's like, it, to me, it's it's like an overreaction to there being trolls out there who are only ever negative, right? They find something here. to harp on about, and they just fling venom, and you know they rage and rage and rage about what they don't like. And those perfect guys, example. Suck. It's perfect. Like I saw, like on Twitter, I saw two friends of mine discussing Halloween Kills, and the one guy is really excited for it, and the one guy wasn't, and it was just the most like Casper Milk Toast conversation I'd ever seen because you could tell they were both trying to be the nice guy and trying not to de- offend the other person. It's like, but you're really, you're talking about a stupid fucking movie that nobody's seen yet. Like, it's okay to be a little <laughs> mean. It's okay to say, I think it looks like horse shit, you know? And if you're taking that too personally, or again, over a movie you haven't seen even, that's on you, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I miss, I miss honesty in conversation. I think part, again, like, you know, if if you're only ever negative and if you're only ever, like, screaming and ranting and raging and raving about shit, then, like, fuck off. But at the same time, you know, the, the overreaction to that, the other side of it, where it's like, we must never say anything negative yeah. ever. It's like, eh, no, no, you can fuck off, too. Like, I, I just, let's just be Some honest. movies are bad, and <laughs> it needs to be known. Yeah, and I miss that. <laughs> I miss that honesty, and I, but whether or not we can do that the on Twitter- job. On film Twitter, like actors? No, never. You don't see that anymore in in, in journalism, the hatchet job, right? I think that's what it was called, where you just tear down a film, and it's almost almost like they're doing it for the sheer thrill of it. But again, like you were saying with Twitter and social media, though, it's like with uh, actors, like all they do is just go on like, oh, man, I love this guy. I love my friend's new piece of work, blah, 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 blah. Like, Like, where does criticism even come in anymore? Where does criticism and just being a publicist, where do they where do that diverge? Or is it the same thing now? No, it's called Letterboxd, and that's where all of the like scathing reviews I, are. I'll be, yeah, I'm always honest on Letterboxd. I am like, I'll say what I think, but you know, it's like I agree though. There's this weird sort of culture that's sprung up around that that seems to be a bit impenetrable at the moment. But it feels like I, everyone wants to be nice to each other because they don't want to step on anybody's toes. Because what if they work together one day? Oh yeah, kiss my ass with that too. Because they're not your these here. These celebrities are not your friends. They're not your friends. They may see and they may retweet you, you know, but they they really don't care about you. They don't. Who you are? Who gives a shit? Be honest. Like, like, oh, I'm sorry. 
No, straight up. Like, that annoys the crap. Because I know so many reviewers at this point where they're like, well, I didn't like this film, but I'm just going to talk about the good parts about it. That I'm like, no, talk about the shit parts, too. That's part of the film. Like, if it's not great, talk about why it's not great. It'll help the director learn more. Because if everyone's just praising him, he's going to think that his shitty movies are amazing. And he's going to continue to make shitty movies. And then you know what that director can do? They can take the negative review tweeted out say oh this person doesn't understand me blah 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 how dare they how dare they and then a bunch of their sycophants start retweeting them because they think he's their friend and if you don't think these celebrities are savvy enough to know particularly when you're dealing with the film festival circuit and particularly when you're dealing with the horror film circuit where everybody knows each other that they're going to these festivals and oh they're sitting in the barn doing a shot with you oh they're 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 buying you a beer you don't think they know what they're doing now i'm not going to say that everybody is so what do I want to say manipulative, but if you don't think there's a little manipulation to all that, there, then you're a fool. We've seen so yeah. many celebrities and even like B list celebrities who I'm not gonna name names, but weaponize their audience against people. And it's like Oh yeah. It's like why? Why you gotta be like that? Just I like, do wanna say too, I, I I wanna make it clear too, like if somebody chooses not to be negative, like that's fine to me. Like if somebody's just like, I'm personally just going to focus on what I like, then like cool. But it's like the idea that you know, when somebody starts telling others, like, wow, that's really negative. You probably shouldn't do that. Or we shouldn't be negative about this. Let's never be negative ever. All of us. That means. Well, they've all they've all obviously never watched. They've all obviously never watched Satanic Rites of Dracula because this is a movie that it's okay to be a little negative about, I think. Yeah. And yeah, well, that's to be worse than Scars of Dracula, to be more boring than yeah, Scars of Dracula is another one I just think is kind of dull in I, the Hammer Dracula series. Oh, I love and Scars. I, and I think I like Scars. I like how I, well we talked about Scars. Scars has is beautifully shot and made, and but not a great movie. Like the script yeah. isn't great, and and so Give like I think you can appreciate the filmmaking. I think the the real sin of Satanic Rites is that it's not that well made yeah. on top of being a poor story <laughs> and boring. I don't, you, I don't know what this Blu-ray looks like, but I have never seen a copy or rather streaming or wherever I've watched this that looks good. And I don't know if it's well, just here, the transfer or if this movie is just like so, poorly So shot. the transfer, I, I can I can comment on that. The tra- I have a go- it, the co- transfer is gorgeous. It looks great, but it's such a flat fucking movie. Like yeah. the, the there's nothing, you know, dynamic happening in the color scheme right. or the shot progression or, you know, the the lighting. It's all just very flat and straightforward. It it honestly feels like an episode of a TV show. Like at, oh, from that time where it's just people going in like previously union. on like, yeah, like here's a here's the master shot setting up where they are. Here's a couple close ups here. You know, it's just it's it's shot reverse shot conversation. It's master shots of the room. It's just all very functional. Um, and in some ways, yes, that evokes the spy thriller vibe of that time, <laughs> but I don't think that was a stylistic choice. I think you know, that was they would just, have been, yeah, yeah, it was spy thriller or Dracula. You're better off looking to our man Flint or Casino yeah, Royale, like, which like, is worth, it's it. worth noting that the art director on Satanic Rites of Dracula, the art director whose name is uh, Lionel Couch was an art director on Casino Royale. The not obviously not the Daniel Craig one, which nobody here has seen, but the the uh the one with um the parody, what's his yeah. name? Yeah. 
And that movie is very colorful and very cool, like very kind of swinging 60s. So who was yeah. it? It was Woody Allen. It was um, uh, speaking of pieces of shit. Um, it was uh, <laughs> David yeah. Niven, right? David Niven. But it was also uh, oh fucking hell. Who was it? Um, Peter Sellers. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. That is a, I, I don't particularly care for Casino Royale, but it is a great looking movie. Mm. And this well, has touches like like I said, all the kind of post the kind of mod, ultra modern uh, like the lights that we had there. When you get to uh, what's his name? What's a, what's a, the not Dracula's name? What's the businessman's name? Dee uh, Dee Denim. When you get the Dee Dee Denim's office, you get a little touches of that, but it's just not enough. They should have named him D Dracula, right? Like <laughs> something D R. Acula. Do the do the Edward thing. Doctor Acula. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Doctor Acula. But I, I mean, you know, we we I just think that missed opportunity. But uh yeah, I mean for the log line of this movie is so exciting. It's like Dracula poses as a CEO so he and yeah. creates a fucking virus that's gonna annihilate mankind. Like, wow. you know, it's this crazy huge in scope concept. And what it all amounts to is like a couple of conversations between characters in a closed door room. Like it, they never do anything with this really great idea. And I think that's, again, one of the bigger sins of the film is because it gets It's kind of like the, the original purge movie. It's like, Hey, here's this really cool idea where, you know, once a year, everything, all crime is legal, but then this whole movie is going to take place in this one dude's house. Like, what are we doing? Like, you know, show us the thing you're promising us or we're going to be disappointed. I just want to ask, like, what is has Dracula? Here's the thing that, like, really this movie hammers it home to me. Uh, that was not a pun, hammers. I swear. It, it, it no, it was not a pun. It is now. Well, it is now. As it's 100 percent it. a pun. It, you know, I'll, I'll take credit for it. But uh, what was that? I love it. Slide Slide whistle. Whistle. <laughs> but this this sort of. Uh, <laughs> love it. Love it. We could only do that for the rest of the show and I would be happy. Um, I don't know if our listeners would be that happy about that. Well, they're going to love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, um, no, like Dracula, by the time we get to this movie, you know, if you look back over his exploits leading up until this film, and then you get to this movie and you realize that his big master plan, now that he's moved beyond petty revenge, he's going to annihilate mankind with a deadly plague presumably doing away with his food supply i don't as striking as he is i don't think christopher lee's dracula is all that bright it's a good shot though well i mean do you subscribe to the the explanation that we're given that doesn't come from the villain but from van helsing which is basically that dracula is just sort of sick of it all and wants it to end do you think that's what he's doing I've never gotten that from the character in any other movie, and I don't even get it here. And if that is the case, like, it, it certainly doesn't come through in the performance or even any other piece of writing in the film, you know? Um, well, the, I, the other issue is um, when they, I mean, this is jumping ahead, but what the fuck? Who cares, right? Uh, <laughs> when they reveal the virus and the, the vial breaks, right, and it gets on that guy. He just dies immediately. He he never would have had a chance to take it anywhere. <laughs> My thought was like, okay, the idea is they have to spread this virus. The way it spreads is by touching people. 
he's never going to touch anyone because he couldn't have, have ever gotten out of that room. Like all four of them just would have died in that room. Like the virus hits you so hard, so fast that that would be it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel very functional to me. But... I just want that line of exposition, like that bit of dialogue. <laughs> just give me a moment with Peter Cushing's Van Helsing looking around, realizing that very thing, Paul, and just quietly to himself saying something like, uh, you know, they're all so fucking dumb. I can't believe they're so stupid. <laughs> um, and then he just walks out, puts on his hat, moves was... on to the next supernatural thing he's got to fight. I will say Cushing um, in this movie, like he, he doesn't have like the costumes that he had in the previous movie. Like I thought he was really striking and just, I mean, just fucking cool looking in the previous movie. But there's something about him here in this movie, specifically the scene sitting at the desk and the way he's lit. Like, his face is so interesting. I know he was like getting thinner at this time. And obviously this was just after his wife's death. And like, it, obviously yeah. he was in a bad place, but there was again with, with he takes the role seriously when he probably shouldn't have to. And nobody else is certainly, but I, talk about I, two sides I, of the same coin, like Peter Cushing oh and, yeah. and Christopher Lee. But he, he, to me, there are times in this movie where he looks like a Bernie Wrightson drawing come to life. Like he, he is, He's very striking looking, I think, in this film. And uh, and again, I mean, part of that just might be how he looked at the time. Part of it might be the lighting. I I, I have to hope that part of it is, uh, I love the slap. Uh, part of it is just uh, the fact that he's committed, you know, and he is he's giving it his all even when he doesn't have to. And I think, you know, when it comes to Hammer, all the people behind the scenes and in front of the camera, you know, even though Christopher Lee is arguably more iconic to me, the MVP of Hammer, full stop, throughout their entire history, on either side of the camera, it's got to be Peter Cushing. I can't disagree with that. I uh, I'm I support this. I think uh, MVP of all of Hammer. Never yes. phoned it. Never phoned it in. That's hard. Uh, yeah, I mean he. I love Terrence Fisher too. I love Jimmy Sangster too. Yeah, Fisher, but... or even you know we, you know, Sangster or. Um... Anthony Hines. Um, Anthony sure. Hines. Yeah, that's kind of where my mind was going. But but if in front of the camera, there's there's no doubt that it's Cushing, because like you said, I mean, there there are two guys from that time period um, that really just give 110 percent every single time. And it's it's Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Yeah. Those two actors, every movie they were in, it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter how ridiculous the fucking movie was. They showed up like it was like like Shakespeare himself had handed it to them and said, please do that. I wrote this for you. <laughs> do this to the best of your ability. And they did every time. Um, and I and there really aren't many actors really in the, the history of cinema that that did that. Um, so, I mean, and like something about Cushing, Cushing never devolved into that knowing parody either, which you can sure. do and yeah. still deliver. He always yeah. takes this shit 100 percent seriously. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, even Star Wars. <laughs> he was well, and he, he showed up in a couple of movies that were self-referential, like he like House of Long Shadows is a bit right. kind of self-aware, but he even still takes it seriously he doesn't see him like you're right he he doesn't see himself playing like a parody of himself in that manner um i guess what i would say about 
me saying he's the MVP is imagine all the same movies that you and I have loved, like, and we've talked about on this podcast, right, since the very beginning. Imagine Curse of Frankenstein, uh, Horror of Dracula, you know, The Mummy, like all of those movies, right? Sure. Uh, imagine Terrence Fisher, Sangster, Hines behind them all. Imagine the exact same movies that we have. Mm-hmm. And pick any other actor, strong actor. Let's think uh, Eric Porter from Hands of the Ripper. Solid actor, great actor, right? Yeah. And you plug him in, in Cushing's place. And no matter how good Fisher was, or Sangster was, or Hines was, those movies would not be nearly as good. It's true. That is true. No, I, I, I think it's a you have it, it's a strong argument to make, and I think he's probably who it would be like uh, you're right i mean hammer he he's he's a staple of of the studio he was there till the end um and he never like he always gave a shit whereas lee did just did not <laughs> we, ne- never faltered never you know i mean and like even find, and, oh, find me ahead. an interview where he bashes hammer you know what i mean find mm-hmm. me an interview where he bashes a film he was in I don't think you can do it. Well, and like Lee, Lee was very disconnected from the reality of his career too. Like Lee, Lee didn't want to admit certain things. Like you said it yourself. I was like, oh, this is just one small part of a hundred and ten movie career, or whatever it is. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, but Dracula is not a small part of his career. It is an integral part of his career, if not <laughs> maybe the most important role he played. Because when he took that role, he was not a famous person, you know, Peter Cushing was famous before hammer. He, he became famous in BBC teleplays. Like he was a household name in, in the UK. Cushing was going to be fine. Uh, Lee needed hammer to become the international superstar that he became. So it, it feels a little bit more uh, offensive for him to be so shitty to the studio. <laughs> Uh, when they were so important and, and, you know, far be it for me to criticize Christopher Lee, obviously he's, he's a hero and, and he did amazing things, but that, that wasn't, I don't think the most res- respectable way or the right way to handle his, his, uh, his disconsent with, with what he was doing. Ali, can I ask you, you're an actor, like, how do you feel about that notion? Like an actor, like obviously Christopher Lee, it's a little difficult too, because even though Lee was being pissy about it all, you know, he, he was also browbeaten. He was cajoled. He was borderline blackmailed in a way to even make these movies in the first place, being told things like, uh, <laughs> look, we've already sold the rights. If you, if you don't do it, Chris, all these people are going to lose their jobs. You know? So it's funny what a soft touch he was though. Guilt trip. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But Although, like, you know, as an actor, he did also do the one for me, one for you thing, too. With yeah, that. yeah. Like yeah. he he got shit out of it. Like it wasn't like he just completely got screwed over. Like he got to make Rasputin the Mad Monk because of Dracula Prince of Darkness. And then that required a contract that signed him on to several more movies. And, you know, th- there was there were parts in it that and he got paid, you know, maybe not as much as he should have. But, you know, at the end of the day, he, he was making pretty decent money by the last couple movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this movie, weirdly enough, I mean, again, we've talked about it. All of us like it's a very flat looking movie. It had compared to other Hammer films, a pretty damn sizable budget, which uh, something like two hundred twenty three thousand pounds in 1973 money. So that's uh, 
That's that's considerable. Allie, what I was going to ask, like, can you imagine ever getting to that point like Christopher Lee where you're just showing up for the hell of it and you're like, that's it. I'm done. I'm just going to show up on set. I'm just going to rattle my way through these lines. I'm going to collect my paycheck and then I'm going to tell people what a piece of shit this movie is after. Like, could you <laughs> could you imagine ever getting that sort of um, like jaded towards the industry? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm already pretty jaded. I'm only like 32, but I can't see myself not doing this. So, like, if I got to, you know, take some shit and maybe do a couple films I don't want to do, then I'm just going to suck them up and do it if it means I can do the fun projects that I do want to do. Now, I can you see yourself, are you going to throw yourself in 100%? Or if you're treated like that, are you going to be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to show up, but also fuck you guys. Like, are, are you going to cushion it or are you going to lee it, would you think? Well, uh, so my whole take on that is that I am a woman so i don't really have the same specs as they do whereas in the hammer world where you hear so many stories of them pretty much bullying women into getting naked like that's not fun that's not something i want to be a part of but like as a woman and if that was out of the question then i'd be like you know what fuck it you know what let's do it unless i had something like amazing on the go like i don't know a lord of the rings movie or something Maybe a role in a Star Wars. But... <laughs> no. Like, my... <laughs> Maybe they're at the point in their lives where they're like, if I'm going to act, it has to be for something specific. Whereas I'm like, if I'm going to act, I'll act in literally anything. Rocco, we... So I was reading something a little bit disturbing about the sequence. Um, apparently, this was... Uh... And obviously I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but you know what? She's there. She's hung up. It's fine. We'll get to it eventually. Anyway, I might as well preface it by what actually happened in the scene. Show of hands, who was impressed by this character, Jane's eventual staking? I liked seeing the nipple. That was a nice touch. <laughs> I get that nip slip. Well, Liz, like, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I love it. This is this is gonna be this is gonna be a staple of the show from here on out. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna do the slide whistle until the we end. To, uh, we'll all have to get slide whistles so we can just we like chaotically do it. It's just a wall of sound. From I like uh, Joanna Lumley's get up in this too. I like the yellow shirt, yellow belt. Oh like yeah, stone cold. I like this it's yellow. Oh my god. We, we have we talked about the Joanna Lumley changeover yet? I was going to ask, like, how do you all feel about Stephanie Beecham to Joanna Lumley? It works. Because uh, she is a mature character. What's crazy is they don't even attempt to make the characters look alike at all. Like, I... No. They they could have given her that terrible wig from the previous movie. Oh, I mean, that beautiful wig? That's like a short hair on top of a long hair? Like... <laughs> I don't know. I, I I love Joanna Lumley. I really like Stephanie Beecham in the previous movie, even though she didn't have much to do. I just think it's kind of neat that the even though it's a completely different actor in this movie, like the events of the previous movie and what happened to her, they seem to have informed this character this time around, you know, except at times it seems like they're trying to make her a stronger character. And show that, like, you know, maybe she's taking steps toward, uh, you know, like Michael Verratti pointed out, that maybe the initial intention was to make her the Van Helsing of the Dracula franchise moving forward once, you know, Cushing might stop doing it. And so maybe they're building her up here a bit to be an eventual heroine in uh, in the later films. But 
you know, at times she seems strong, but then there are other times where two dudes tell her to be quiet and keep put. And then when she's put in danger, she becomes a damsel in distress who has to run into a man's arms. You know, it's like, uh, I'm getting mixed signals about this character. Like, what the hell are they trying to pull off here? Yeah, I, I, I was a little disappointed she didn't have more agency in the finale, too. Like, yeah. that, that's when she really just becomes sort of a, like, a, a, a damsel in distress kind of character. And especially if they're trying to set her up, which you think they have to sort of be doing that having brought her back for a second film that they know Cushing, <laughs> they know Christopher Lee well enough. They know Peter Cushing is not going to want to do it for very much longer. Right. So this yeah. scene, the dispatch, um, the Jane character played by an actor named Valerie Van Ost. She had a metal brace that came around her chest that had an indentation in the front. Um, and I guess that was covered with makeup and that's where the end of the stake was inserted. And the stake was like, it was like a telescope, you know, like telescopic, well, uh, like a stage deck. Yes. Yeah. And so when they pushed it into the indentation, that's when, uh, you know, it says here the blood bag filled with Kensington Gore burst and, you know, she howls and it's it's a pretty great effect. But what's funny is, is that there was a visitor on set that day watching the scene and that moment happened and they actually be they had to be assisted out like they had to be helped away offset because it looked so uh so real wow. and weirdly enough that shot uh in which obviously we we had the bare breast there for a moment it was that was one of the scenes that was cut out for some of the video releases that eventually came out i think that was probably cut from the count dracula and his vampire bride because i've read that one was heavily edited but i'm not sure what the runtime was on that one what a weird alternate title. It is weird. Because it really has his vampire bride. <laughs> I liked how they all climbed over that brick wall with just such ease. Like, I've done a Tough mutter. It's hard to get over a wall. <laughs> I've climbed over a whole lot of walls. Like, I've climbed over many walls in my day, and they did it with ease and in, like, suits and loafers. I- I well, can still jump like a these... fence, but climbing a wall would be hard. Yeah, like that older dude, there's no way he'd shimmy up that wall like yeah. he just did. Like, that guy hasn't worked out in the last 30 years. He's got no upper body. <laughs> he has no upper body. I call bullshit on that one scene. <laughs> the most unbelievable thing in the Satanic Rites of Dracula. The wall. Mm-hmm. Old Every people climbing the wall. Yeah. Old Every people climbing the wall. <laughs> That should be the title of this episode. I know we don't title our episodes, but we should just call it Old People Climbing a Wall. Count Dracula and Old People Climbing Up Walls. It's still a better title than Dracula and His Vampire Bride. It's true. It makes more sense. It's something that actually happens in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) The satanic rites of old people climbing up walls. You know, even the brides of Dracula seem phoned in in this movie. I mean, we're you know we just missed that sequence. Instead, we have. I mean, we maybe we should be talking about the high tea sequence here in the office. The thrilling <laughs> tea sequence. From, well, and from this is this Dracula's is more indicative. Bride. This is more indicative of what the movie is doing for most of its runtime. Mm-hmm. A bunch of like like older white bunch men ge- in a, a bunch room. Of geezers having <laughs> yeah, like talking bunch about of having all tea in here. So, but even the bride, the eh? like they just like they're in like kind of beat up old wigs, and you know, usually the brides are one of my favorite parts of the movie. And like, yes, the brides are very attractive in this one, but they all just seem kind of like they're phoning it in just as much as Christopher Lee is. Yeah, 
Oh, they truly are. Yeah, I agree. And they're they're taking, I mean, if not taking a cue from that act, I, I do wonder if, like, that influences the other actors, too. You know, if, like, your sort of title draw character, I'm sure on set it was pretty clear that he wasn't happy with what he was doing. I got to believe that had an impact on some of the other performers or less experienced performers potentially as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, we get a a bit of blue light. That kind of looks cool. A little, <laughs> little tiny bit of uh, we're, color. We're, we're grasping at anything. I mean, I will take on. any color <laughs> I can get. All right, just gonna throw this out there just to just to put this joke to bed. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Dracula's dead and well, and old people climbing up walls. Anyone? I'll take it. All right. I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. So, do, do we think? I mean, it sounds like this for everybody ranks kind of at the bottom of the vampire, the Dracula run, and Hammer's Dracula run. Is this He's the good. lowest ranked? Prince of Darkness, you're not last. I can't. Don't even start with that. I already started. Don't even. Don't even put that in the same conversation. That's I crazy. Do. That's a crazy thing you just said. They rub elbows. <laughs> oh my god! No, I'm kidding. It's uh, I do prefer Prince of Darkness much more to this film, so there is at least that. At least Prince of Darkness has some atmosphere to it, you know. Prince of it's Darkness shot some great some all, yeah. some all beyonds. Prince of Darkness is very well made. It's very entertaining. It's a little derivative, but I mean, we get we get some great stuff in that movie. We really do. And it, yeah, anyway, it's, this isn't a Prince of Darkness commentary, it can but uh, it's great. It's very released great. On a, Prince of Darkness was released on a double feature with The Plague of the Zombies. Oh, uh, yeah. And that played in Chicago, and you got uh, Vampire Fangs and Zombie Eyes. Oh, damn. Plague of the Zombies is fucking great. That is like, if not unsung, Oh, it's one of my favorites. Hammer. It yeah. is so good. It's one of the undersung zombie movies. Not just Hammer movies, but like, you know, when people talk about zombie films, that movie doesn't come up. And yet it it did things that, you know, Night of the Living Dead would get credit for before Night of the Living Dead. You know, and I love Night of the Living Dead, but like it it did a lot of modern zombie stuff well before uh, that became the norm. It was way ahead of its time. But uh, yeah, I love that movie. It's great. We have this moment here with Cushing um, looking at that building, the D.D. Denham building um, that was built on St. Bartolph's. So that's obviously following right up on AD 1972. Like, do they actually say, do they state the year this movie was meant to take place in? Because obviously it was produced one year later. I'm wondering if the delay and the eventual release in America didn't make more sense to have allowed more time to elapse because otherwise I don't, I, I don't believe that Dracula would have resurrected, become DD Denim, you know, plunked a building down into place on top of the church. And then, uh, started enacting his, uh, his, his, his big scheme. I, I, I don't see all that happening in a year. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but it, it feels like more time has passed yeah i i had always assumed it was multiple years um and i will say i do like the attempt at continuity in this 
Because most of the franchise, while there's a bit of continuity, it generally doesn't really give a shit <laughs> about making things really work. That's what always impressed me about the about the Police Academy films, is that the continuity in those films <laughs> is impressive for a series you really didn't need to do it for. I 100% agree. I mean, that really comes alive in Citizens on Patrol for me. That's that's really where the continuity takes a step up. But I, I, I do think that... Um, this can we just make this a police academy cast? Where is that crossover? You know, if we had Shaw Brothers and Hammer getting together for Legend of Seven Golden Vampires, if Hammer could have just hung oh, on dude. a little bit longer, could you imagine like uh, oh, you know, a police academy Mahoney, Packleberry running afoul of Dracula or it's, the Wolfman? It's a crying shame they didn't like. Imagine like an earnest, scared, stupid situation, but like with the police, but with the police academy characters. I mean, that would just work. That would a hundred percent work. You could you could throw vampires at them. You could throw monsters, ghosts. Easy. That would have been printing money. A Halloween really adventure. Like, all joking aside, like we seriously are overdue for like an Abbott and Costello meets, you know, the monsters kind of franchise that tackles actual, you know, uh, 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 notable screen monsters, you know, and I, I'm stunned that like, apparently back in the early aughts dimension was looking at, uh, uh, doing like a Jay and silent Bob meet. And then, you know, the various uh, horror characters that they had, you know, the rights to at the time, which would have been Jay and silent Bob almost met, you know, (laughs) Ghostface, they came pretty close, right? I mean, they were there. That's so weird to me. There when it happened. That's so strange to me that that means the Scream franchise. That means dogma happened in the Scream universe. (laughs) I just, I personally, when I watch Scream Three, I'm like, that's that's Kevin Smith, that's Jason Mewes. They're in character. They're just fucking around. That's the only way I can make that work. That's fine. Because otherwise. Otherwise, I do think the Scream parody in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is pretty great, though. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Fuck, Wes, a monkey? We're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I wish I wish Wes Craven had made a Deadly Friend franchise, you know, instead of, like, let's, let's make five or six of those. How does this <laughs> movie, this is a Hammer film, and it even makes the trees look uninteresting. I think that's a first in Hammer history. And there's not and there's not one carriage careening through the countryside. No. It's like carriages. Countryside is wasted. I mean, all gothicism has been like sucked out of this film. Like it 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 really has zero interest in resembling anything even closely related to sort of the classic Hammer vampire film. Yeah, I don't know. And it's I it's and weird. I wonder do you think that's part of them reacting to the fact that horror and horror fans were moving on? They were like, "Oh, we can't do any of that anymore, so we're just going to do the exact same thing but without all the hallmarks." You know, it's I, I think that's exactly what it was. And I think that's the problem. But it's also I, th- I think Right. Well, that's the thing is when you forget when when you get so caught up and trying to do the popular thing and you forget what it was that made your work so effective, you know, then you become something you aren't. And, and, 
and that is just transparent. When you watch something that is not true to the voice of the people that are making it, it just feels hollow, right? Because they don't have a vision. They don't have a purpose for telling the story. They're just doing it because they think that's what other people want, as opposed to them saying, well, I don't really care what other people want. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I think will work. That's way more interesting. Now, whether or not that would have been financially viable at the time, I don't know. That might have also failed. But at least years later, we could probably look back on it and go, well, this was really well made. It just wasn't in at the time, as as opposed to this, where we kind of watch it. And we go, yeah, this isn't great. <laughs> yeah, I, such a bummer. I mean, this is. I'm just glad we got a Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires after this oh, to send yeah. the franchise out on a high note. But it is kind of a bummer that this is the movie that does send Lee's Dracula out, you know? Yeah. Um, we th- do there, see there's Dracula no again, way, though. no matter how good the movie, he, he never would have even read a script for Seven Golden Vampires, <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, I, no matter what how is good all this script kung, was. What's all this kung fu shit in this? I'm exactly, not dealing with it. Exactly. Like, he would have kung the title. fu. <laughs> now, somebody pointed this out in the, in the Hammer story. The, uh... Kung fu, Wes, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's melting silver. To use his bullet, right? Which is part of like vampire lore sometimes, I'd right? Like, like they sometimes, yeah. This is kind and of a cool sequence when he looks at the the, the photograph of Dracula and everything. It it, it is, and it's yeah. cool, and I love him melting the cross, and he's gonna make like a silver bullet to sort of fuck Dracula up. I, I dig it, but uh, Cushing himself had a very good point on set, and nobody just bothered to listen to him. He was like, um, but. He's wearing a silver ring. <laughs> I literally take the silver ring off his hand at the end of the movie, and people are like, "Nah, it's the eighth movie. Nobody's gonna." Maybe know. it's pewter. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that fake silver that turns your fingers green. It's it's faux silver. He just he likes how it looks, but and he wants people to think it's silver, but it's not real silver. Tacky, tacky Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> he got it out of a Cracker Jack box. <laughs> he, it's modern he age isn't so bad. Special. He wants people to think like, "Well, I have a ring. I'm, that means I, I come from wealth. I'm confident." Ooh, this is the second modern wealth. Dracula movie where we don't get Dracula enjoying or experiencing like the modern day for the first time. You know, like looking around and being like. Oh, look at this car and look at you know, what is yeah, that flying we, at this and that. Then again, yeah. they did that shit in Dark Shed as a Tim Burton movie. And uh, I don't know. Choice, don't you think, though, that's kind of the missed opportunity of both of these movies? Like it, the it, whole promise of like bringing Dracula to modern times, but then having him like never be a fish out of water seems very, very misguided to me. And, I mean, I get they that like with, they do it with Blackula a couple times and it works. Yeah, like, you can do it in a way that's not, like, ridiculously comical, too, you know? Like, because I think that the fear would be, well, we don't want it to be straight comedy. But, like, you could do it in a way that would be interesting. And 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 almost maybe the comedy could come from the people trying to guide him, like, sort of having to deal with it. You know, that could be funny and not undermine 
the intensity of, you know, or well, the the supposed intensity of Christopher Lee's <laughs> performance that he thought was so fucking important, while at the same time not giving a shit about any of it. That's the other funny part to me. It's like, well, you know, I this is not this I don't this isn't funny. This is serious. And then he goes on set and he doesn't even try. But like, you know, I I do think that that's that's kind of a disappointment that we never see him, or even just maybe descending on the modern world and just eating a bunch of people. You know, that would be cool too, like a Jason Takes Manhattan situation. You know, where we get like five minutes of that, and we've wanted ninety minutes of that. Um, as opposed to like a, a boring boat ride, but like you know, here we we could have Dracula just kind of go out into the city and take advantage of nightlife, and we you could have all kinds of great like dance club sequences and stuff with really interesting lighting and photography, and then Dracula kind of you know I'll, like like a fright night scenario where you know see him in a dance club um, and actually like seduce somebody on the dance floor. And yeah, what would that look like? Like, that would be fucking cool to see in a 70s British landscape. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it would have been a lot of fun. I wish they had done that. At the same time, there is... Have any of you... Paul, I know I've 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 uh, annoyed the hell out of you to try and watch this. Please watch it this season. It is you, perfect Halloween You know Halloween how hard viewing. it is for me to watch things. <laughs> I know, but still. Um, but I will try. And yet, I see updates every night, sir. I say nay. Yeah, and things I'm watching on my my deep long backlog of things that I'm supposed to watch. <laughs> okay, on Netflix, uh, I have Mike, to watch like eight I'll Chucky watch. movies by next Wednesday. So give me I'll a break watch. here. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Mike, it was made after '97. So moving on. Uh, Allie, have you seen the Netflix <laughs> Dracula? Well, We've learned about uh, Vanderbilt. <laughs> the the new show that was released like last year or whatever. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was very good. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was a fun little little tale of Dracula. It it to me it feels like probably the most hammer of any modern treatment it, of it, like it, a, a classic monster. But like I also just need more Dracula stories to show that why wouldn't Dracula be bisexual? <laughs> Well, he does. So the thing that really interested me, like uh, going to this conversation, like there is a moment, spoiler alert, but it's minor. um, There is a time jump in the show where the first two episodes are period and set during the period of like Stoker novel. And then in the third film, let's just say he, he takes a bit of a rest. And when he wakes up, he's in the modern day and he's surrounded by people with cameras and automatic weapons and there's a helicopter overhead and there's a car and he, and they could have done the thing that we're talking about here where it's like, you know, stranger in a strange land. What are all these amazing new things? But his Dracula is somebody who's already lived for hundreds and hundreds of years and has already seen the progression of many different things and how, you know, how the ages change like technology and whatnot. And so he just stands there looking around taking it all in and in the space of like 20 seconds he's just kind of like okay i got it like i know what all this is i know what it does he you know. is quick can we for a second talk about dracula's office love it <laughs> like he why does he have this where did it come from who's paying for it it's beautiful like <laughs> who needs can, to can i ask office on like on the on the vhs and the sd copies is Dracula like silhouetted? Is he hard to see? His uh, face 
there are just hints of face there. So there's hints of face, but also my uh, I'm gonna send you guys a photo key so you can see what I mean. Mine's very uh, grainy. Like I feel like so, the is super off on this VHS and this TV VCR combo that I have. The, oh, I the I reason I put that. Oh, I'm sorry. The the reason I'm asking is on the high definition version. He is so. It looks like Christopher Lee's just sitting there in low light. Like it, he's not silhouetted at all. This one, the, like, the standard is pretty close to that. Like you can see him. You can. Yeah, see I'm him like I. Like I'm wondering if the intention was like to try to make this because he even changes his accent for this sequence i'm like is this this feels like they're trying to make this a reveal but i don't know if the photography just wasn't there for it or if this is just one of those things that doesn't translate well to high definition (laughs) i feel like (laughs) he needed him to be in the chair facing the window holding a cat maybe and then he turns around (laughs) to reveal petting a cat yeah for sure for sure yeah, I sent you all the photo of what mine currently looks like. It is very grainy. Oh, I am not see. sure if I can even change the tracking. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, this is pretty grainy. See, that's right. at least like oh, you can't really tell who the fuck that is. Yeah. Your... And I feel like for VHS, will help would help the scene a little bit. This looks my like god. a scene out of like the video from The Ring. Yeah, that's not particularly great. Here, let me send you mine. I just took a picture of him, and it's not yellow like that. That was just the weird way the light hit. Oh, no, yours is way brighter. Yeah, like, you can literally... He's just fucking sitting there. Like, like, so there's no reveal. And when I was watching it, I was like, this can't be right. Like, he's just lit well. Well, the yellow is is some weird thing with my camera taking the yeah, picture. It wasn't really good. Yeah, no. It looks like the half the words are yellow, like it's a sing-along. The best thing to do on a podcast is take pictures and text it to each other. And <laughs> talk about the pictures so our listeners can't see. Can just hear us reacting to it. Anyway, what we're getting at is Christopher Lee is too well lit. (laughs) They know what this is by this point. We'll post the photos on Twitter so you can see what we're talking about. I mean, I'm on my fourth beer, so we can't really expect much more. Man, swinging for the fences tonight. I'm slowing down. Hey, man, look. It's the Hammer Pub. You got to have a few drinks. It's what we do. It's what we do. Yeah. It's what we do, unless we don't. Shit. It's fine, unless we don't. Unless we uh, But yeah, so here we go. We, we've we got it. It's all on the open now. Cat's out of the bag. The vampire's out of the bag. Dee Dee Denim. Oh, for life. And we're back in the know, base. Why that name? Dee Dee Denim? I need like a Batman Begins explanation as to how he came to choose that name. Yeah. Yeah, it's not clever. <laughs> I don't think it... It it refers back to any Dracula stuff. So just call him like you know, uh, uh, something Stoker. You know, like mm. it, it would have been corny as hell, but at least you know, I'll, I'll take a Vlad Stoker over a Dee Dee Denim. He, what, that, uh, sounds like a stand-up comedian from the fifties. I don't know. Somebody who would have been on Howdy Doody. It's just fucking weird. Hey, look, this is almost an interesting set. 
It's good in there. These two have zero chemistry. Like, it looks like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's not that Yeah, it's there. not a believable seduction. What do we think about um, uh, the inspector coming back? You know, it from, seems like from it, the previous it, it's like, great, I guess, but he just looks like every other British guy in all these movies. <laughs> really yeah. Bad. He looks like well, Discount and I think David to your Warner. Point, I think the biggest issue I have with it is his character is not, there's nothing unique about him. There's nothing that makes him interesting. He is, he really is just every other inspector in a movie. It, so, it, like, the fact that they bring him back, it feels a little bit like, okay, well, you want to create continuity. I get that. But you couldn't have given him just like one thing that made him interesting, just one unique defining element about his persona. Instead, he's just kind of boring. He's super boring. Like he dozed off for a second and I was like, I feel you, dude. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of intensity heading into the finale, which he, he wraps her up in a net. He's pounding a stake into her heart. This is the weirdest sex scene Hammer ever attempted. Mike, is this what you call a roughie? <laughs> it's pretty close. It's, it's a roughie. Rough. Yeah, it's rough to watch. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I, you know what? That time, I knew the slide whistle was coming. I, I, I felt it in my heart. I do like the shadow of the cross. I do like the, I do like to let people know when I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> Hit it again. Like, he Shadow truly looks cross. bored in his whole sequence. He's like, ugh, I still have to hold this cross. Can, ugh, can just I ask? Water oh, on. sorry. Why is, right, this dungeon, like... why is this dungeon so well lit? Yeah. Like, it needed to be. It's a movie. Well. Al, you're right. He looks mildly true. looking Brides of Dracula. Yeah. Like he's, he's looking forward to his next drink. He's like, this fucking Tuesday. You know? He's just, he's over. Oh, my. My kids, my kids walked in at this part, and they were like, they were very confused why the sprinkler system killed them. I was, and my seven-year-old, to her credit, was like, you know what? I bet someone uh, blessed the water in the building, so it's holy water. And I was like, good. That's, that's I, you know, for a seven-year-old, they're thinking outside the box. I like yeah. it. Your seven-year-old's very smart. I, when I saw this happen, I go, oh, I remember that from the last one. Yeah, they're running. Well, yeah, I explained to them. I was like, well. I was doing the Leonardo pointing meme. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing that happened when my kids came in was uh, uh, when, <laughs> when, oh, I forgot to mention it. It was when Van Helsing was making the silver bullet. So she came in during that sequence and she goes, She's like, oh, because she saw him making a bullet. So she figured out he was doing something. She goes, oh, they messed with the wrong grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that. they sure did. You don't mess Indeed, with they Grandpa did. Helsing. No, no lies told there. Like, he is a grandpa. Yeah. They sure. shouldn't mess around with him. Like, I, I think she was right on all counts. You should create a letterbox just for your daughter's, like, like critiques Rea- reaction oh my god do it yeah. now that she's getting into like horror movies so she can literally say stuff like that and you can be like this is fucking gold yeah i i i sometimes i tweet that stuff but other times i just enjoy it and keep it for myself but yeah i should i should do something for it but it's they're, they're funny i i love their reactions to horror movies it's really entertaining 
Now, are they have they gotten to the point like in Hammer where they you had to sort of check them out? Like, yeah, I because obviously I, like this, I don't want them to see like nudity and stuff yet. Obviously, right. I just I just don't think that that's something I want them to be exposed to. Um, but I'm I'm cool. I mean, generally they can handle because I show them all the special features of these things, so they know that. Like if there's violence, they they know it's not real, and they generally are now thinking about how someone made it, and that that was kind of my approach. I was like, well, if I can get them to to deconstruct it, which I know takes some of the fun out of it, but it's also a way to to for me to sort of like justify why I would show something horrible to a younger kid, and I wouldn't show them something truly bad, but like you know, staking a vampire, like my or my seven year old of Dracula, yeah, my seven <laughs> yeah right. My seven-year-old still really struggles with um, with violence, so I try not to show her. Like, I show her a lot less than I show my 10-year-old. My 10-year-old's a lot more. Like, my 10-year-old watched Child's Play. My seven-year-old, I would never in a million years show her that. <laughs> uh-huh. And there, there's, this, there's this wide chasm between the seven and 10-year-old, like, in terms of what they're capable of handling. If I showed my seven-year-old that movie, she would never sleep again. Like, it would be awful for everyone. Uh, Because she'd be so scared. But um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's just one of those things. But yeah, I do try to check out the Hammer movies ahead of time. But they walked in at the end of this and I knew most of the like lewd stuff had kind of already passed. So I let them watch the last like half hour. Have you gotten to the point like the really technical aspects of the movie like have you set them down and pointed out like, you know, pointed at Cushing and be like, see, that actor is trying. (laughs) <laughs> and then, like, point to Lee and be like, now that's an example of an actor not really trying that hard. You know, we haven't we haven't gotten into the uh, disparity in performance yet. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's your way toward it. It's cool. Honestly, the idea of Dracula leading, well, like a satanic ritual, sounds like the coolest fucking idea. And this is so damn dull. <laughs> We are really ragging on this one, but you know what? It deserves every fucking bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we began this co- this uh, podcast with saying, like, you know, nowadays people say you're not allowed to be negative, but you should be able to if you want to. And then we then we did a podcast being negative, so it kind of feels like we were just sort of setting it up to where people couldn't like call us out, right? It's like we knew well, you this, know. we had to tee it up. We had to tee it up a little bit for ourselves. And the funny thing was we started out and I was like, I actually kind of had fun with this movie and I just sound like I hate it. But like, it's, it's one of those movies where I do enjoy the ludicrousy of it. Um, Like I said, I like, I always like a good, like horrible virus that's going to annihilate humanity movie. Although after COVID it's a little bit tougher to enjoy those. Um, But like, I do enjoy that. And I, and I, I agree with Mike that, this movie does swing for the fences with its ideas. It has some very creative ideas uh, as a sequel to a Dracula movie, but the execution is just so piss poor <laughs> across the board. Other and I think that's Peter what makes Cushing. it. I think that's why we kind of are ragging on it so hard. I think that's what makes it ultra frustrating right. is that, yeah. uh, like you said about the log line, a spy movie with Dracula as the villain. That should be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely should. And it isn't. That's a shame. That well, and here they're talking about... Like the it's not even so bad, it's good. It's just dull. Yeah. Yeah. Like, And they had the same writers, 80, 1972. They had the same... Uh, 
They had the same director, Jimmy Sangster, pinned the, the treatment. Like, what went wrong, you know? Yeah, and, and he just had the scene where he basically accused Dracula of what we were t- talking about earlier with, like, oh, you want to wipe out humanity and be all alone. That's what you want. And then Dracula just doesn't acknowledge it. He just goes, I've chosen four horsemen, and this is my plan. I'm monologuing, uh, you know. Like so many people, right. apparently. He's, he's trying out for that fucking midnight man. I was just going to make a midnight man. Yeah. As, as, as you said it, I realized it was something I just No, no, you're good. I liked yours better. <laughs> Not for nothing. I would have watched a follow-up to this. Like, could you imagine that title? Like, uh, Van Helsing, Fourth Horseman of the Apocalypse. I'd watch the hell out of that movie. Oh, a follow-up movie where the virus actually gets out and yeah. the world. Yeah. Oh, that would be great because yeah. that delivers on the promise of the movie in a way. Whereas this movie doesn't give us any of the things that it, it sort of supposes in its, in its premise. But honestly, I feel like Cushing should have had his own franchise as Van Helsing anyway. Yeah. And he was kind of going that route with Brides of Dracula. Well, Brides is a Van Helsing movie. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, Brides is very much van helsing as opposed to a dracula film which it got saddled with so it could sell (laughs) the final shot of the red contacts i was gonna say after 90 minutes of bashing the hell out of this movie did we all get wrapped up in this one moment together (laughs) i mean the red contacts are always great it's always very nice it's it's pretty thrilling watching him kind of dispatch of his with his four horsemen when they yeah. realize that they're not they're they're not the part of the plan they expected to be but, but this is my point earlier about the virus the guy who gets it just like immediately is kind of fucked and he's trying to like touch people i guess because he's mad that he's the one who's sick but it's very easy to get away from him like i just feel like it's 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 not likely that that would spread if it's that like that quick to kill you and it only transfers by touch from what the movie suggests this fight scene like with somebody racing around trying to stop like one side of the plan and then having the fight you know uh, an underling and whatnot that should have been jessica like she shouldn't be a second movie in a row on an altar in a white dress again completely you know well, and did you guys notice during this fight scene, there's no score. Like, it's just silent and it has no energy because of it in a way. Like, it's just the sound effects of them, like, hitting metal and stuff. And that's it. It's just them fighting. And it feels really weird and unfinished. Oh, dude, you need him in the groin. That's Is that a first for Hammer? A groin? Uh, like, a meeting groin? someone in the groin? I have no fucking yeah. idea. Someone had to have been kicked in the balls at one point in all of Hammer's filmography <laughs> before this, right? I mean, not not in front of the camera, but... Well, you know, it took uh, eight movies in the Halloween franchise for Michael Myers to be kicked in the balls. <laughs> <sighs> and that's what's wrong with the franchise. <laughs> Trick or treat, motherfucker. That fucking movie. That fucking, fucking movie.
Oh, it's the best out of all of them, and I will go to my with that. Halloween Resurrection. You're is fucking around. Drug. You're yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that take. That's I do not, not agree with it. Although I do have a Dangertainment T-shirt. You know I what? Shit. I want Those sequels. Those Halloween sequels are so fucking bad. It might be the best sequel. <laughs> How would you know? You don't watch films after 1979. I saw. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I saw the night after the day after Halloween, which is a completely unrelated film. I I always wanted to pick that movie up under that title. There was one release that had that title, and it was like an orange and black cover, and it totally looked like it could have been a part of the franchise. Oh, and yeah, they were definitely selling it like that. And I think every other release, even the Blu-ray, goes under the what is the other title again? Ah, uh, good call. I cannot remember. Hell. Um, the day after Halloween. I don't know what this is. I think it's the night after Halloween. Yeah, what that is. Do do I have to watch it? Is it good? I've heard it's a good movie in its own right, but it was basically retitled in other territories to capitalize on Halloween success. Oh, okay. But it has nothing to do with Halloween. Gotcha. Okay, I have I have found a Danger t shirt, and I'm like, do I just buy it? Do I just blindly buy I it? I mean. Allie, if we ever get together, we can both wear it and we can match. It's true. <laughs> Snapshot, also known as The Day After Halloween and One More Minute in the U.S., is a 1979 Australian thriller film directed by Simon Wincer in his feature film debut. Who is Simon Wincer? That sounds like something I should, a guy I should know. Uh, Oh, he directed Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Oh, that's a good. Now that's a good. What a picture! I, I like movie. that movie. Uh, that's a good flick. Yeah. What was it? Uh, Mickey Rourke shooting like the really expensive bullets. He guns down a guy and says something like, "Best thirty six bucks I ever spent," or something like that. Something like that. That's a good. I like that. <laughs> Free Willy, Operation Dumbo Drop. Oh, he directed the Phantom, which I. Oh, I love yeah. the Phantom. I love Slam Evil. The Phantom. Anytime they tried to bring back pulp heroes in the 90s, I was all about it. Like The Shadow, I, I love that one, too. The Shadow's got a, great, uh, got a great theme song, sung by Taylor Dane, written by Jim Steinman, and it's, uh, it's terrific. <laughs> uh, the Day After Halloween is set in Australia. It's about a young, naive hairdresser in Melbourne, and uh, uh, presumably slashery shit happens. And uh, they tried to make it seem like it was a sequel to Halloween. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I want to watch it. Oh, that sounds like a perfect movie. I kind of want to yeah, watch it. I'm, I'm yeah, I think I, had a, I think I went looking for it once, but had trouble finding it. Uh, it is on Blu-ray, I think, under its original title, Snapshot. But I really want the DVD that makes it look Wait, like Wait, Snapshot? Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar. Paul, check your stacks. You probably already own it. <laughs> it's probably... Do I fucking, own, probably own, it. Do I fucking own this movie? I might. I... I... I have it's so shot from nineteen seventy nine is streaming on YouTube. Oh shit. I, okay. Right. Now I will say, as much as I have bashed this movie, and I have bashed this movie, I do really like this final sequence with uh Dracula getting caught up in the thorns and Cushing it's just standing cool. back like, Fuck, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, all the work's done for him. It's like, oh look at you, dude, that must that must suck. And his crown of thorns, so poetic. I love, oh, you I get like a little bit of a song. smile. A little bit of a smile from Van Helsing. Sadistic son of a bitch. He's enjoying this. Finally, after eight movies. 
Lee claims that he actually did this. He ran through the bushes and like cut himself up, and it was like there was some real blood in there. I call bullshit. Why would he put that much effort? Or was he just trying to kill himself? He might have just decided to end it all. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. This is the final confrontation these two had together. And the final Hammer film they did together. Not the final film, because that was House of Long Shadows. but Which wouldn't happen until a decade after this. Yeah, a decade Um... later. You know what? I think this scene perfectly encapsulates everything about the movie itself. It's a really great idea that's executed so-so, and then it just goes on for fucking ever. Well, yeah, because you and your classic Hammer stuff, it would have just ended right there on his face, and the credits would have started running, you know? Yeah, credits. Or he would have, like, burst into flames and then credits, because something always had to burn down at the end of most Hammer movies. Yeah, this being his last time on screen as that character, getting dusted one last time. Like, I wish they'd hearken back to the days of horror of Dracula. And well, and isn't it, isn't it that. crazy that his sort of like him melting away doesn't <laughs> look as good as it did in like the original movie? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's it's less impressive with what they had then. Yeah, it's it's not great. Yeah, and that's that. We did it. We well, watched this, this movie. Uh, this is the end of the Lee Dracula. This feels like. Uh... No, it doesn't. I was gonna say it feels. All like right, Mark rank them. Rank all the rank the Lees. Go, Jinx. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait. When you say rank the Lees, do I have to? I have to hold out Brides of Dracula then. Nah, uh, you can include Brides. Okay, so and you know what? Include golden vampires too. Well, in that case, well, we're not really ranking the least then. All right, Oops. fine. There's, rank, there's... The, rank the Draculas. All right. So, uh, well, Brian, uh, then there's a real steep drop off in quality. Um, I would probably go Taste the Blood. Scars has risen from the grave. Uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh, oh, fuck. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Let me try this again. Brides <laughs> Horror, AD 1972. Taste the Blood. Scars has risen from the grave. Um, Prince of Darkness in this fucking thing. Oh, shit. Seven Golden Vampires. Uh, Seven Golden Vampires, let's wedge that in right after AD 1972. Okay. But that's subject to change on the next rewatch. How would everybody else rank them? The only, the the best one is Dracula AD. It's the only one worth watching. (laughs) No, that's not true. (laughs) Uh, horror, Horror AD 1972 uh, Brides, Seven Gold of Vampires, uh, Taste of Blood, then we'll get into Prince of Darkness, then Scars, then Satanic Rites. Welcome. Okay. I respect that. I'm glad we all have an appreciation for Taste of Blood, I think. It's a cool concept. I like it. Love Ralph Bates. Allie, Paul, how about you two? 
No. Ellie <laughs> 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 just outs out. I love it. She's like, I'm also, not gonna do it. I reject your list making. Now that I'm on the idea that there are dangertainment like outfits out there, I found a polo. And I'm like I'm so happy I did this. Like, do I buy the dangertainment pillow and then sleep with it every night? Like Yes. You do. You do. Look, you can get the, the more tracks. there's not enough dangertainment merch in general. So what merch is out there needs to be purchased is how it's I all on T public and I'm like, I gotta get off this website. Like I shouldn't have looked this I up. Got, I got mine from uh maybe Fright Rags. I can't oh, remember. Was a better situation. Probably Fright Rags. I don't think it was cavity colors. I think it was Fright Rags. That son of a bitching movie. That that fucking fan film that unceremoniously offed Laurie Strode and it's made not, a joke about it. It's not good. <laughs> but the fucking hey, dudes you know, dressed as the name Vince. Word Halloween in front of the title. So I mean, yeah, I watch and it starts it Tyra Banks and Buster Rhymes. Must have Tyra. Yeah. Buster. Fucking the, the kids, boy, they had their finger on the pulse in 2002. They had teenagers dressed as Vincent and Jules from Pulp Fiction yeah. at a Halloween party. <laughs> that fucking movie. I hate and, that film. And Sean Patrick Thomas was there, hot off of Save the Last Dance. Yeah, hot off of Save the Last Dance. Is, is good. That's good oh, shit. That fucking movie. But, uh, that worst mask, hands down in the franchise. Easily the worst mask. Like I, Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's ah, a, I I'm saying it. That's oh. impressive. Worst there, there's mask. Nothing. Worst okay. mask. In the worst mask. Um, Gang, I disagree. E- first off, have you seen Halloween Five? Okay, I'll say this: Halloween Five. I actually like that mask. I like the movie. I but, but I also like I I am a, a whore for the Halloween franchise. Unfortunately, it's just it's 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 bred into me from my horror fandom. I can't escape it. So I understand that some of the things that I like about it, you know, are are like bad actually in capital letters. But <laughs> I I still enjoy them, and I can't I just can't stop. But I, I would say my least favorite mask is. Um, whatever the fuck they're trying to do throughout H2O. I like H2O <laughs> as a movie a lot, but the mask in that movie, first off, it changes no There's less several. than four times. Yeah. There are four different fucking masks. Actually, I think five. Uh, the CGI mask in that movie, if you actually pause and look at that, the CGI monstrosity that appears on film yeah. that was released in theaters, there's nothing, nothing in that franchise worse than that. that nothing. I, I, I refuse but to accept you're that right, any physical mask that was ever created is, is worse than that. Huh? I will say I hate I hate that you can see his eyes. The good. fact that you can see his eyes is bullshit because he's not a person. But anyway, what's that? what's that end to that? Uh the blue yeah. eyes, the blue eyes making Michael Myers feel human is 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 not my bad. But um, <laughs> at any rate. Uh say, the satanic rites of Dracula. <laughs> We did it. We watched this movie. I can't believe it. I'm proud of us. I think we did a real service today for the community. No? No, I'm sorry. I was distracted. I'm actually sending you and Allie a picture of Michael Myers from Halloween Resurrection. Well, and this is, again, the the best... 
you know, thing to do on a podcast is to send each other pictures. Exactly. Oh, you're leaving uh, this out is good. one of the people on the podcast. You should send it to Mike as well. He needs to see what we're yeah, like. He needs I don't to know how. I, on he's, Instagram. Can I? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's, Instagram's the only social media I'm allowed to use anymore. Any, apparently. Any <laughs> on that? Nothing. And I'm currently banned from uh, Facebook for another five hours. What did you do on Facebook? Well, I got banned last week for saying that Morrissey was a cunt, but he puts on a good set when he shows up. I mean, where is the lie, I suppose? But I, then I, uh, this, I, I reposted a, like an old porno magazine to my Instagram story, like off of one of these uh, you know, Instagram feeds I follow. And within seconds, I get a notification from Facebook that you know goes against standards. Do you agree with this? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, sure. And it's like, okay, cool. You're banned for three days. Jeez, again, man. you know, again, it's asinine with what is uh, allowed to fly on social media. But I, yeah, this is this is a pro. This is where the problem lies. So, how much longer do you think you have on Instagram before? Uh... <laughs> I I don't know. I don't I don't know what it's going to take. I'm going to try my damnedest though. What what's next after Instagram? What uh TikTok. I'm on TikTok now, but like I said, I feel like a narc on there because I'm forty one <laughs> years old. Oh, such a narc. You're gonna get to the point where they're gonna have to resurrect Vine just to uh, uh yeah. just give you a hip hop. World star hip hop. <laughs> I'm gonna have All to right. join Somehow, TikTok. Somehow so some way we have uh we have come come to the <laughs> end of our commentary for the satanic rites of Dracula. Um, I think we did a great job. Uh, this is, uh, I think this is about as good a commentary as that movie can get. I think this is about as good a commentary as the movie deserves. And, um, I think we should pat ourselves on the back for that. Good job, everybody. We done done it. Well done, everyone. All right, wrap it up here. Mike Vanderbilt, where uh, where can folks find you at online right now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Who knows by the time this fucking episode here? Just give out your personal cell so people can text yeah. you. <laughs> we want to keep in touch. 773-411. Find me at the Halloweenies podcast. Uh, I, I, do, I, do, I do scroll their Twitter feed every once in a while. Find me at Halloweenies. Uh, by the time this episode airs, we'll be in the midst of October, so we're doing a whole bunch of uh, Halloween-centric stuff. I know we're doing uh, audio commentary for the first Halloween 2, Halloween 2, 1981. And uh, we'll also be doing an episode for Halloween Kills, and we got all sorts of cool stuff coming up. I'm excited for that. I saw the announcement for that the other day, and I was like all giddy about it because I, I just love the month of October and all the love that that franchise gets. It never gets old for me. Like I, I just I, it, to me, it's like a staple of the season that I just I, I absolutely love. I, this season, I never get tired of shitting on it either. Like it's it's just a thing we love doing on our show. The Halloweenies <laughs> podcast loves shitting on the Halloween franchise. <laughs> <laughs> now wait a second thumbs up thumbs down come on don't break my heart here like how do you feel about the original halloween 2 uh, i don't like it it's a slog i understand we appreciate you being on um <laughs> thanks so much <laughs> i i com- it's a movie where i completely understand its appeal and i certainly have a certain amount of nostalgia for it but 
what a drag of a movie that is completely unlike the original film in the sense that, you know, there's no suspense. I don't think, and to put Laurie Strode in a completely like, you know, background, complete background role, I feel is a disservice to that movie. Pretty good climax though. The Halloween movies for as much as the uh, Halloween sequels for as much as they stink have some of the best fucking endings of any series. Halloween four has a great ending. Halloween five has great. Halloween three has a great ending. Halloween two has a great ending. Halloween H2O might have the best ending of any horror franchise sequel (laughs) I've ever seen, despite the fact that they walk it back in that era. Other than to me, the franchise ends at that moment. Like resurrection doesn't exist. It's not canon. I refuse it. Resurrections. Yeah. But yeah, Mike, <laughs> I how do you feel about H2O uh, has grown on me quite a bit. Talking about Halloween twos, uh, um, how do you feel about Rob Zombie's Halloween two? I, I watched it once and I don't remember anything of it. And I, from what I understand, that might be for the best. Well, <sighs> is it good? I mean, am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. I here's the thing. I think I, I, won't believe I you. think. Hey, can can I before Jinx tries to convince you it's good? Can I say I don't like it? <laughs> Please, Paul, tell us about the one time you watched the movie. Uh, I watched it twice. I watched it twice. Rational hatred of that film. Go ahead, please. I watched it twice and I don't like it. How's that? (laughs) Wow. Mike, you might not like it, uh, honestly, but it's, I adore it. But what's weird is like you really have to, it's, I mean, hands down, it's a terrible Halloween film. Like as See, and a, that's my problem with it. Like, no, I hate I this that. whole thing where it's like, oh, well, you just got to divorce it from Halloween. I'm like, it's called fucking Halloween. Like, you can't remake <laughs> Halloween and then well, go, like, well, to like it, you got to divorce it from Halloween. It's like, well, then why didn't he just make a movie well, that was this and not called Halloween? Corpses and called it uh, fucking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I would equally say, hey, it's a terrible fucking Texas Chainsaw movie, but... For its own merits and what it is, like, I enjoy the hell out of it, but I feel the same way about his Halloween, too. Like, it's obvious that he he probably came back under protest, and he just kind of wanted to make whatever fucking movie he wanted to make, and he used some of the iconography from the franchise, and he did his own fucking thing with it. And honestly, I much prefer that approach to just, you know, going through that. Fuck, give me his Halloween, too, over fucking Resurrection any day of the week. Um, I, I think his movie, honestly, is one of the best looks at like uh, a final girl after the events of uh you know like a really traumatic experience um uh, i i i think i i love the artsy flourishes i love how gritty and beautiful it is at the same time i love the performances i think uh scott taylor compton and um uh daniel harris are both fucking great in it um i i love that it turns loomis into an opportunistic piece of shit and i know that that's uh, uh, Paul, I, you and I have talked about that at, uh, at length. We've spent hours on this, I think, this one particular thing. <laughs> but I, but the thing to me is, it's like yeah, that's not Donald like Pleasant. That. You know, it can be, it can be its own thing, and I love that it is. You know, I think Rob Zombie said that his touchstone for that character was Vincent Bugliosi. It's like you know somebody who maybe had decent intentions initially, but you know saw saw some money in a book and uh, you know just sort of rode out the fame and suck that event dry and I, I i like that i like that it was that different it's a different universe it's its own thing and for what it is i i fucking love it i think it's one of zombies best I, movies i do appreciate imagination and i have no aversion towards rob zombie although i think the only movie of his i actually do enjoy is lords of salem yeah that's my favorite that's Lord my Salem. favorite 
Winter of Salem is the movie where I was like, oh, this is a director I'd like to see more from. Mm-hmm. And I am I really curious about his monsters. I am. I hope he kills it. I hope his monsters is fantastic. I really do. All right. Before we turn this into the Rob Zombie cast. Uh, so, Mike, thank you so much for doing these. Two oh, episodes. my pleasure. And, I'll have uh, to come back for uh, I'll have to come back for uh, Golden Vampires with you guys. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have that. We sure. have uh, I know you're a Carolyn Monroe fan. Of course, we have uh, Kronos coming up at some point soon. Yeah, too, but, for Kronos, no matter what. Hell or high water. I'm coming on. To that one. Kronos next week. Kronos next week. I'll do it. I'll be here. But why don't <laughs> Ali? I was going to ask. Like, what is your what is your recording schedule like? Like, uh, are we doing Monday Wednesday? Okay, I can do next Monday, and then wait. I need to look at a calendar. Hold on. Whatever we do next Monday, we are also doing with Elizabeth Kyle and the Plug It Up podcast, so we can have a full house again. Uh, I will have to sit out next Monday. I am spoken for next Monday, but I will come back as soon as uh, as soon as I can. Okay, we will. Uh, we'll figure it out. We are we recording this Wednesday? Are we? We can. Um, I this you mean like two days? Like as in two days from right now? Like forty eight hours? Yes. I I this Wednesday I am not uh, uh, available, unfortunately. Well. Top-notch podcasting we're doing right now. Yeah, we can edit this part This is an edit. This is an edit. We'll edit this. This is just uh, for the Patreons. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can hear all the shit we edited out. Uh, let's see. We What do we have coming up next? So we just did Satanic Rites of... Um... Yep. This isn't it, Kronos, and then oh, something the, versus the Kronos, and then Frankenstein. Okay, so okay, Captain Kronos. Whatever we do, the first week of October, uh, it doesn't even matter which movie it is, but that'll be the Plug It Up podcast. Um, so, but the next movie is Captain Kronos, and then the next movie after that is Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, and the guy who runs the massive uh, Hammer Horror Twitter account. He's got like fifty thousand followers. He he wants to come on for that um, and chat some monster from hell with us. So, and then legend of the seven golden vampires after that. And then to the devil of daughter, we have four movies left in classic hammer. Oh God. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Isn't that weird? That's very weird. Can't believe you did it. It's, yeah, it's been a journey. Either. It's, it's <laughs> it been has been a, a wild year. ride. So. <clears throat> um, all right. Well, we, we can figure out recording times and stuff. So, so wait, uh, well, okay. So if we're not recording this Wednesday, and Allie, or no, Mike, we can't record next Monday. How does everybody feel about next Wednesday? Next, next Wednesday, Wednesday would be good for me. I am recording a Dead Ringers next Wednesday. <laughs> oh no, October is a busy month. I, it yeah. is. Um, does anybody have any free days this week, like Thursday? Oh. Um. Yes. No, I'm not. I'm, just, I'm kind of stuck this week. Hmm. We can do this. We're gonna figure this out. What about next Tuesday? No, right. Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'm out, but I'm okay for Wednesday, and I think I'm out Thursday too. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, what if we just reversed the movies? What if we tried to do... What if we skipped Kronos and did that the following week and did, like, something else next week? Just switch up the order a little bit. We, we could do Monster could, and I was thinking, on Monday. To cover uh, October, I was thinking about staggering the schedule and doing it bi-weekly anyway, so... Yeah, we could just do that. Yeah, we'll figure something out. We'll, um... Uh, I um I'm running on no sleep, so I'm not going to be able to do any 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 delicate scheduling right now. Any I am powering down, folks. Yeah. I, I was dragging during the last part of that podcast. too. apologies if I uh, if I just started slow. Well, just like the movie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was just in line with that. Ugh, that movie was <laughs> a fucking energy vampire. Like it just sucked the life out of me. <laughs> that reminds me what we do in the shadows i should have talked about that during our recent watches my goodness. oh god the new season's so good colin robinson he's my hero i haven't um, watched it yet so i need to catch up on it oh paul you are in for a treat mike do you uh, never mind um <laughs> i watched one episode it was pretty okay <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh guys, Michael Berardi says that he hopes our podcast went well and he was sorry to miss it. Aw, Michael. He'll be back. All right. He'll be back. He be All right, back. let's uh, let's dive back into this uh, after the setup point. So, <clears throat> All right, Mom. At some point, whether it be, what do you think, like Kronos? We're going to do some Kronos, maybe? I'm, I'm ready to do Captain Kronos. That's one of my favorite hammer entries. Rock on. I, uh, Paul, we have somebody else coming on for Kronos too, right? Uh, Nolan is coming on for that? Nolan's uh, Seven Golden Vampires. Seven, why do I keep fucking that up, Paul? I've done this 27 times. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I feel like every episode we have this conversation. Literally every episode. <laughs> and every time you correct me, it's like, oh, right. Uh, fuck. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll figure something out. Uh, so yeah, no, Captain Kronos <laughs> is coming up soon. We have Frank Sun and Monster from Hell coming up soon. We have uh, da, 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 To the Devil a Daughter. We are only a handful of episodes away from the end of Classic Hammer. We've nearly done it, and then we're going to go on to New Hammer, starting with uh, oh Beyond the Rave, and then oh I think Let Me In, The Resident, uh, The Woman in Black. We've we've got a we've got a handful to do there. So we we still have a lot of Hammer Pub coming your way, but uh, we're we're getting close to the end. We're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, I'm I'm anxious. I'm looking forward to it. So not the podcast being over, but just, uh, I don't know. I, it, it'll feel like an accomplishment once we get to the lodge, I think. <laughs> All right. So Mike, uh, folks can find you at online on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> Maybe if I'm not banned, I don't know. I don't know what this, I don't even know what to tell people anymore. Find me on that hollow. Find me on the Halloweenies podcast. That's the easiest place to track me down. Rock on. Allie, Paul, uh, where can folks find you at online? And uh, what are you doing? I, Allie, you already talked about it. Your October is going to be very busy. It sounds like you're doing a hell of a lot. Um, but yeah, what are you both uh, doing? What can we keep an eye out for from you in the near future? Uh, Allie, go first. Okay, I'm like, when you say both of our names, it makes it really awkward. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the original thing that I was really excited was that my movie, uh, A Girl with a Straight Razor, was supposed to come out in October, but now it's pushed to November, and I don't know why, but it'll now be out in November. But otherwise, uh, if you start tuning into my Instagram starting on Friday, I'm doing my 31 Days of Spooky Treats, where I make horror-themed, horror-movie-themed 
food for 30 days because I didn't have enough to do in October. <laughs> All right. And Paul, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'll be there's several articles coming out uh, on Bloody Disgusting this month or in October for me. So be on the lookout for that. I'll share them on my Twitter and then podcasts through Dead Ringers, more Hammer Pub as as you're listening to stuff like that. And then I'm going to be tweeting a lot about horror movies. So uh, yeah, yeah. Horror movies. check that out for tweet action. Rock on. All right. Thank you all for being on. We uh we had well, a we had a dodgy you. Oh, what's that? Where can we find you? Me? Uh I, I worked that into the end. Like, oh, fine. <laughs> Kinda I I was doing the run up and you tripped me. You just stuck your foot out and then she was trying to help. That's I was cool. trying to help. I was making sure that we didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Wow, we're gonna queeze in our at the end of this episode. I can feel it. <laughs> Let me try this one more time. <clears throat> and thanks everyone for uh, well no wait for that one wait what <laughs> I was just gonna barge in and just interrupt you anyway <laughs> just really throw off your game it's wow. it's gone at this point uh, it's done uh, <clears throat> all right thanks to all of you for being on this show we uh, we had a I don't know arguably a kind of dodgy movie to contend with but I think we had a fun conversation I thought so. That was pretty fun. Rock on. All right. Thanks again. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts. And I'm at Jenks1981. You can also find me on Instagram. That's at Jenks740941. It's just so many fucking numbers. I'm so sorry. In any case, thanks so much and have a great weekend. (laughs) 